And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast something covering some- Wow, I- wow, we're starting strong today, covering something Star Wars. In this episode, Cassian attempts to lay low on Ferrix as Agents of the Law closes in. There will be snitches, be bitches, be stitches, and some badoinking. We're talking about- badoinking. Ah, but it's still badoinking. Uh, we're talking about Andor episode two. That would be me this week. How you doing, Chris? Also, I forgot to tell you, Good. ignore that purple note right there. That's for me to remember for next week. Okay. Just, just ignore that note. I forgot I'll to tell you. Consider that. it ignored. I, can, I, I wrote I it. Ignore things quite easily. I wrote it uh, last week. You can cut this out, by the way. I wrote it last week, and then I was like, this is an episode three note. So it's just sitting there for me to come back to it. So, how you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. That's I may good. not cut that out. I like giving them the little behind the scenes. Oh, and I, I know that's a fascinating that's fascinating example of how the sausage gets made. At well, I, I guess if, if you want context, I wrote a note about the flashbacks on Canary and then for last week, and then I realized it was a better note for episode three. So it's just sitting at the top of the document because I copy paste the notes from document to document to carry them over. So it's just sitting there for me to talk about next week. So, yay, fascinating. Mmm, sausage. Mm-hmm. Make the sausage. Mm. I didn't make I, sausage, but I made hamburgers tonight. Did you? Yeah, I got the ground beef and, like, smashed them with my little, made smash burgers. Okay, well, okay, so they were smash burgers. I was going to say, okay, I have a, I've been asking everybody lately, so... Like burger, what do you how how do you like your burger cooked? Uh, medium well. Okay. I I'm yeah. a medium rare guy, and I work. Oh, at uh, a medium rest. rare. Sorry, medium rare. Has oh, to medium have a rare. Little, has to have a little pink in it. Oh, okay, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, just like like a kiss of pink. You don't want it to be like raw pink, but you want it to have like a a little kiss of pink in it. If I if I know it's, it's freshly ground, I can go, I can go rare. But if it's just sort of like store-bought ground beef, yeah, I'll go medium rare. Mm-hmm. But at work, I'll put out, I'll be, I'll be cooking a burger, and I notice all my coworkers just take their burgers and mash them down on the, and they'll, and they'll be like trying to help me and walk it over the masher, and I'm like, leave it alone. <laughs> and I'll make my burger, and then I'll bite into it, and it will have pink in the, you know, have a little pink juice to it, and pink in the middle of it and they go nuts they're like you're a vampire <laughs> and i'm like this is not unusual you guys you don't yeah. you don't you don't understand you don't understand like the that there's flavor here <laughs> yeah it's okay if it has like a little a little blush of pink in it it's not I'm, you don't I'm want it to be if raw people are, are losing that because there's a lot of restaurants that won't cook stuff leave stuff pink just because they're afraid but I, I don't mean, know what it is. I'm cu- like sitting there customer... thinking, like, I, am I in the minority here? I am. At, I, I am where I am. But I think these. I'm like, you guys are the weirdos, not me. 
I'm if not the, the if the customer it orders gaslight. it, if the customer orders it pink and something happens, it's on them because they ordered it and they took the risk. Yeah, I, 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 I'm at our restaurant. I have been, and you know, they, they, they never listen to me. But I, I want every customer who walks in our door to sign a, uh, a piece of paper called a flavor waiver. And and on it, it was <laughs> flavor waiver. Flavor waiver, and on it they will state that they understand. That at a certain point, if the the flavor quotient gets a little too little higher high above this point, that their that their risk of a flavor stroke increases, and that they're you know absolving us from all responsibility for flavor strokes at work because our food is so flavorful. You see how? I need to come visit you so I can eat in your restaurant. It's flavorful. I want to have a flavor stroke. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. People will be like, flavor stroke? We'll see about that. That I think that's, they would bring them in. Flavor stroke? Sounds like a challenge to me. I want to be the next bacon guy. I mean, there's people that hate hate flavor, but I mean, there just are to be people. blunt, they should stay the fuck away from our restaurant. <laughs> I know someone like that. <laughs> stay the fuck away. All we got for you here are some mashed potatoes. And you got to get them without gravy. No, I... Or what we like like to call Flavy. (laughs) Ha ha ha! If it was a rapper, would it be Flavy Flav? It would be. (laughs) No, I do know someone like that. But granted, at the time that she said this, um, she was pregnant. So, like, her hormones were crazy. But uh, my best friend Megan... Um, I, I went up to, uh, visit her for her baby shower and I was, uh, making like my chicken well, salad, which she was like hypersensitive. I imagine, it, exactly. Which is the point of the story, but I was making like my chicken salad, which is like something it takes me like over an hour to make. Cause I, I actually like break down the chicken of my, myself and like make sure it has like all the dark meat in it. Yeah. I take out like the hip bone meat. The hip bone yep. meat is like yep. the pearl of the chicken. It is. I do all that. I do Very the whole thing. And, and, it yeah. is. Look up the pearl of the chicken. Like that is the best piece of the chicken. And it's the piece that, oh, it's so good. Um, and I I had uh, made my chicken salad. And I was like, all right, here, Megan, try it. And she tried it. And she was like, it has too much flavor. And I laughed at her. I was like, I'm sorry. What? She was like, it's good. It's just so much flavor. And I was like. I'm never letting you live this down. Wow. <laughs> and still to this day, I make fun of her. <laughs> May I offer you just a bowl of plain mayonnaise then? No, nah, no. She she has a big palate, but like she was like seven yeah, months pregnant yeah, yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> so, because she's had my chicken salad since, and she's just yeah, like, all her body great. senses were betraying her, I'm sure, at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She does not like seafood, and I had made, like, a cream cheese smoked salmon ball that I make that you, like, dip crackers into and stuff. And she, like, ate it in one bite. Like She loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and she hates seafood. She hate, If it comes, if it's an ocean thing, she, like, she can't, she can't. She doesn't even like the smell of the ocean. Um, but she was just like, this is really good. I'm like, you know, that's fish, right? <laughs> She's like, really? Wow. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I don't, but I still to this day, like, if she'll say something, I'll be like, is it too flavorful? And she's like, shut the fuck up. 
I hold it over her because I'm petty. Yes. <laughs> mm. Do it. That's what friendships are made of. Yes, they are. Uh, acknowledgements of each other's foibles. Mm-hmm. Or, or not even foibles, just like one time where <laughs> something happened where you can get them for the rest of their life. That's that's the meaning. You were there for that thing that they said that you could hold over their head for the rest of their life. Oh, she has a few on me too, so it's fine. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, uh, what did you think of this episode? I like this episode a lot. Um, yeah, and I'm starting to look in at, at you know I'm starting to think of everything more in the context of these first three episodes. But like, yeah, I like this episode a lot. It's it, maybe not as as actually like I was kind of the first time through disappointed with the first episode. But this one, I mean, it's it's the middle episode. So, you know, it it's it's all just sort of hanging. So maybe I didn't like it as much as the first episode, but I still I like it a lot. There's just it. There's just not a bad. Mo- there's not an off moment in the whole show. So. This is going to sound like a hot take, but I promise you it's not. Um, rewatching the series, this might be my least favorite episode. Um, and that's not a, it's not that it's bad. I think it's because, um, I, like I said, I've been, but maybe, because I'm actually not a big fan of the mini, middle Aldani arc episode either. Well, that's um, what I'm going to say. There's, there, there's that, I was going to say that episodes, arc. Yeah. You know, I mean, but like it's it's going to be nitpicky on which ones I like better than other ones. So, I mean, there's going to be there's definitely like a good three or four of them that I like a lot, like a lot. Yeah, like (laughs) this is like and they were sort of meant to be like they're sort of meant to be culmination episodes a lot of the time. So, yeah. Like we're, we're we're splitting the like the distance between like a B plus and an A plus. So we're in like, the middle of we're we're in the middle of the first arc. We're we we are in like But I think I think we're the still reason why world building in the in this one. We're still introducing characters and stuff yeah. and And I think that's why this might be my my least favorite out of all of them because even the middle episode of the Aldani arc still was like doing a lot of building and they were introducing like concepts yeah. and themes through Nimic. And this, I like, and again, this is in no way a bad thing. Like the, none of this is bad. Um, it's just still has that kind of like built, like building out of the gate, which the show needs. Um, but I, I do agree that like, if this had came out on its own and it wasn't the first three episodes and I watched them all together, I would probably feel differently about this episode. But because I saw, I watched the first three in one sitting when they released it, it didn't bother me as much. But like sitting here on my own, just watching it, it really, it it cannot stand on its own. Um, it, and I, and it kind of reminds no. me of what you were saying last week where it would almost be better if last week and this week was like just a long hour and a half episode. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, the point where it would have left you hanging had a le- what like the this point where it better... left you hanging in the first episode didn't have any tension to that hanging. It yeah, was this is like a, a better climax. Break. 
Yeah, this yeah, is a much this better one, climax than last. This week. one, things are starting to come together, and then it ends, and then you're like, you're you're involved by this point. You are like starting to get the stakes in this one, and and in the first episode, it's just building up the stakes. So, but they did release the first three episodes out, so I I could have done that, and if I would have like sat down at like one in the afternoon to watch it instead of eleven o'clock at night, which I did. You know, I would have got maybe I would have gone like, oh, that was kind of abrupt. Oh, I could watch the second episode, you know, and yeah. uh, and and then I and then I go like, I want to know. And and then I could have found out with the third episode and then by and and I would have been sucked right in by that point. By this point, by this point, when I was watching it the first time, I was sucked in, though. So, yeah, me too. You can't. That, uh, I mean, just uh, it'll probably I'll say it over and over again, but I'll I'll but. I'll, I'll say it first here. Like we're gonna, this to me, like I think as far as like a Star Wars individual script, like The Empire Strikes Back, is the best, you know, um, best script, like individual story script of Star Wars. But Andor is the best written, like extended story. You know, uh, probably, you know, since since all the stuff, all the TV, this is the best writing we've had in Star Wars. In every everywhere, but the Empire Strikes Back, which is a sort of different beast. You know, this is this is almost like doing a novel or a, a miniseries or stuff. But the writing is just always like it never breaks its style into cheesiness or into a false step or something. It's mm-hmm. very meticulously written. And it, and it, and it, and it it's all kind of like through the saying... whole show. So it's hard to be like, well, we're going to get to that episode where obviously they had some new writer in there. Or, you know, they had this a different writer in there and it's all goofy and, and messed up or something. Yeah, it does, that doesn't happen on this show. And it's uh, it's kind of like what we were saying like last week. Like, this isn't tackling anything new in Star Wars. It's just deep diving on them. It's like it's, tackling it's like it taking a different it's way. taking a Clone Wars episode and making it like a twenty page essay. Well, on that another, one theme. I was having a conversation with Aaron Henley where he was talking about the latest Mandalorian episode, and he's like, "Now this it had like elements of Andor in it, but it had like the dog fights of Star Wars, which is what Andor was missing and stuff." But uh, that made me think about it, and I'm like. You know, Star Wars need like it needs something like Andor to that to ground stuff where it isn't the focus isn't on like dog fights and stuff and the special effects and, and sequences. But I think it's about ten percent. We need about ten percent Andor to set a, a a real groundwork for the fun stuff to take place on, you know, the the dog fight stuff to take place on. So then, you know, you have like hard stakes already established and you know generally you know you know you have to like you had to see darth vader come down that that hallway in rogue one to make darth vader scary again after the the prequel trilogy in clone wars Mm -hmm. where we got to know him as anakin so, That's why I like really hate the argument where that came out after Andor, where they were like, every show needs to be Andor. No. First of all, no. Most because, of them don't need to be Andor. Yeah, like 
And also, if every show was Andor, then Andor isn't special. Right. Well, here's the problem is good luck. Good luck getting the magic combination that they got of writing and directing for Andor. Because, like, Gilroy doesn't have the baggage, fanboy baggage where he's like, oh my God, I'm working on Star Wars. He's working on, he's respectful of Star Wars, but he's working on a story. And he's serving the story. Everything in this is serving the story. And the story is like one of the like foundational stories of Star Wars. So it becomes Star Wars. It's just that he's, you know, not preoccupied with it being Star Wars. And finding somebody that's as talented as him that will like work for TV. <laughs> Is, and then it also isn't a raging Star Wars fan that's like, I wanted, I want to play with some of the toys, though, you know? Mm-hmm. He's not interested in playing with the toys because he doesn't have the nostalgia for them. So he, he's, like, he's like, ooh, these toys are nice, but he's only going to pull in like any kind of toy stuff when it's absolutely needed, you know, when it's part of the story. And it's, it's refreshing to see. But at the same time, I love the toys and the toys are integral to Star Wars, you know, and when I say the toys, I mean, you know, the fun adventure aspect of Star Wars and the the familiar things and stuff like that. You know, it's it's striking that right balance. But like Andor is a big, big step into striking, get, you know, setting one end of the scale, you know, and if if you're going to have a franchise like Star Wars, you need to have a lot of different flavors. You can't keep playing with the same toys or it's going to get stale. And I know that's not for everyone, but like a very good analogy I've seen like floating around a lot lately is the concept of a buffet. Star Wars is a buffet and you go up to the buffet and you take from the buffet what you want and you don't like everything at the buffet, but you can take what you want to make like the Star Wars you like. And so, like, I, I know that, like, animation's not for everybody. I, I have a lot of friends who do not watch Bad Batch. They don't like Bad Batch. They don't like anything about Bad Batch. But they're not, like, any less fans of the people who do, you know? Yeah. You don't go to a buffet and eat every single thing at the buffet. I guess you could. But, but that's, I mean, you know, that's the thing. And, like, Star Wars needs to have all these different flavors and all these different options or else it's not going to survive. It has to have like take risks and do things like Andor, but then everything can't be Andor either because then we're all eating the same salad at the buffet. It's 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 not it's not uh, it's it's a side flavor mostly in Star Wars. You need a little bit of Andor here and there, and there's always a little bit of Andor here and there. But this is a sustained dose of that that tone, and and. With Andor, it will set a, a baseline that, like, in in the more cartoony Star Wars, you can reference that that, and people will remember Andor and be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, a lot." You know, like when when someone say a, a lot, says a lot of rebels died to get this, Andor puts that to life, you know, and. Uh, in in a, in a very real way, so it's not just a line in a movie, which it is sort of like a line in the movie when you don't see it, you know. And so you see it in this, 
you see the stakes and mm-hmm. yeah and it puts faces to it too you know it's something that we talked about like with like like kaz on hosni and prime like you see hosni and prime get blown up in episode seven you don't really care but then after you go through a season of resistance with kaz and you know he's from hosni and prime and you watch the emotional weight of him watching his planet get yeah. destroyed um it does when you have it's a, a little face, more yeah yeah and it and it humanizes it and it adds to it so like it does take that like line from the movies and it puts faces to him so like when, now when you watch and you're like a lot of rebels die you see like cassian and jen and bodhi and Baze and Chirrut's face and k2so like there's a face to that um so it gives it way more weight so uh anyway you ready to get into this i am because we are already getting into it so um Who's texting me? Oh, okay, sorry. Hey, it's the Flavor Girl. She's texting me. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Andor episode two. That would be me. I just like that title. Like, oh, that's me. That would be me. Aired on Disney Plus on September 21st, 2022. It was written by Tony Gilroy and was directed by Toby Haynes. Some extra information for you. Marva Andor is played by Fiona Shaw. An OG Star Wars fan who saw the first movie in the theater, she was delighted to be asked to join the cast. She was drawn to the story by the complexity of family life, which she views as an enriching way to live. And Shaw said Gilroy's complex writing made the show similar to European or Russian films. She wondered if uh, Marva forgot to have kids due to her and her husband, Clems, being too busy wandering the galaxy. Shaw first met Diego Luna, uh, who plays Cassian, during the COVID-19 pandemic, and due to COVID production production protocols, the actors wore masks during rehearsal, but Shaw managed to get a sense of Luna's compassion and kindness. Shaw thought it was interesting how the people of Ferrix helped each other instead of showing off. Luthen Rail is played by Stellan Skarsgård. From the beginning, writer Bo Will, uh, Willman insisted on having Skarsgård play uh, Rail. Creator and executive producer Tony Gilroyd then called Skarsgård to tell him that he had a role for him. When the actor spoke to Gilroy, he showed what he had written about the character, but did not reveal everything about him. Skarsgård was attracted to Rail's complexity, complexity and ambiguity. Skarsgård was attracted to Rail's complexity and ambiguity, and he found his inner conflict interesting. When Skarsgård first put on the costume, put on his costume, he immediately inhabited the role. Gilroy had a hard time figuring out Rail's two personas. When this was being developed, Skarsgård explained that the nature, the natural Rail and the Coruscant Rail have very different hand mannerisms. Skarsgård was very playful normally, and it surprised the crew that he inhabited the character. The Time Grappler is played by Neil Bell. I actually thought it I thought it was cute that his last name was Bell and he plays the Time gra- Grappler when he makes a bow. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the Time Grappler is played by Neil Bell, whose other works include Dune, Anola Holmes, and The Coronation Street. Linus Musk is played by Alex Farns. His other works include The Batman, River City, and The Devil's Hour. Because of the time jump occurring in Season 2, Alex Farns confirmed that Linus Musk is not returning for Season 2. And I'm very sad, because I actually really like that character a lot. Ferex resident Zanwin uh, is... Ferex resident Zanwin is played by Zuman Varla, whose other works include the 2016 A Midsummer Night's Dream, Deep State, and Strike Back. 
Zarin's flight uh, attendant alien who works with him is named Granik and is played by Kieran Shaw. Shaw is a longtime character actor with Lucasfilm and has been in Return of the Jedi, all of the sequel trilogy movies, Solo, Rogue One, and was also in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Willie, the cheerful shuttle writer who talks to Luthen, and Luthen's like, why are you talking to me, is played by Ron Cook. His other roles include the National Theater Live, King Lear, Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz and Mr. Selfridge. The various corporal officers are Don Silverite, Ronick Patani, uh, Alex Austin, Joel Tony Brigno, Jordan Long, Fisher Ares, Abraham uh, Pupula, uh, Richard Henderson, and Jake Lambert. And hey, um, I, hey, the, theater person. Hmm? What do you think Willie's uh what do you think Willie's a reference to? Uh, famous Willie? William Shakespeare? Death of a salesman, Willie Lobel. Oh. He was on the he was on the I, I didn't know his name was Will, Will, Willie, but he's like, oh, he's on the on the shuttle with Willie Loman. I've I, I've only read Death of the Salesman once, and it was like twenty five years ago. So. Oh, I, I I only read it. I yeah, I read it in high school. But like, yeah, or 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 if you wanna if you wanna talk to younger people, you go uh, Gil from from uh, from uh, the Simpsons. No, that actually like makes a lot of sense because he's this character that. I jokingly say, like, oh, I know you're world building and stuff like that, but he just seems like he was supposed to be doing more. But but he just vanishes at the beginning of next episode and then he's gone for like the rest of the show. But he's he just he's such a like No, he's a guy he's, he's a chat the chatty salesman that you run into. Uh-huh. You're you're he's he's on a industrial world and there's guys like that just like going on there all the time and he's a salesman so he's like a cab driver he loves like I like talking to people. Hey, there's a person there where it's quiet in here. I got to talk. See, that's my hell. Like if I'm sitting well, like, on a bus or a subway, I'm just like don't don't talk to me. Oh god. Those people always no seem to like innately sense the people that don't want to talk to them. It's you know. Mhm. It's the um, whole basis of planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. No, no, I didn't think about that. That's a good catch. Um, and finally, the 2016 Star Wars Rogue One The Ultimate Visual Guide established that Cassian's homeworld was Fest, which was presented as fact. This episode later established that this was a lie the Andor family fabricated, and his actual homeworld is Canari actually giving an in-universe explanation for why there was a canon change and a soft retcon was actually heavily praised by fans. I'm glad they were happy. But that but that's kind of the thing about it. Like this is the, the, I'm fine with this because there's an in-universe explanation for it. It's different when it's just like we're going to run over this and not give an explanation, but it's different I I feel and this is going to be so funny cuz put a pin in this. We're going to be coming back to this come the feedback from gene hendrix <laughs> um but like you know it's it's cool that they gave that they were aware of like okay we want to tell this story but this is already established how do we do this and work it into the story and it works organically to where like you know if all of his legal documents are like yeah he's from fest but he's actually from canary and they give an explanation for it. like this works for me i think this is a very smart way of doing it yeah yeah so you 
No, who also is smart and I I don't have yes. a good I don't smart have a good segue. And, smart and uh wonderful, funny. Hot. hot. Yeah. Uh you look you look great. It's I you went on spring break last week and you have a great tan going on. Extra moist, yes. Yeah, I'm digging your tan. Please put your clothes back on. Why are you still in your speedo? Yoda got lots of product to retain moisture, and the clothes only soak it up. Okay, okay, that's so that's Yoda, fair. Yoda's Yoda's being healthy. <laughs> you wanna you wanna know healthy, a trick? Healthy Yoda. <laughs> For all the non-moist people here. Saying that out loud made me cringe. Um, if you want a good trick for the winter time, and you want to uh, moisturize your hands, but you don't want to get it on stuff, um, get a really cheap pair of gloves, like you know, like like normal winter gloves, like the dollar kind that you get, and then like just slather your hands with lotion, and then put on the gloves, and that way you can still touch stuff, but it lets it, like it holds in the moisture, so your skin can like soak in the uh, the the, the lotion. Glove. They call yeah. it the greasy glove. Oh, it's the only thing that you use these gloves for. You don't use them for anything else. And sometimes if you no, go into the cosmetic sections, for, yeah, don't use them for anything else. And like cos, they, in like cosmetic sections, they sell like the slippery gloves, but they're they're really glove. expensive. Yeah, you can also do it with socks too. Slippery greasy glove. You can also do it with socks too. Socks. Like, oh yes, yeah. Yoda learned that in prison. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, like, you know, I'm sure this is a very familiar thing for any of our listeners that have a penis. Like, but you can do with socks, but they also work to help hold moisture in hands with lotion. (laughs) Hi, Yoda. How are you? Oh, my God. I'm the one that went there today. (laughs) Show is not Yoda's moisturizing tips. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do have a question for you. But it could be. I have a question for you, Yoda. A question for Yoda? A yeah. Tip? Yeah, and this one actually comes from one of our listeners. It's from Mr. Diego Lemos. Mm, Diego Lemos. Yes. It's, it is. It's a. It's a bit of a. It's a question. So let me read the whole thing, okay? Yoda is patient. So Diego <laughs> wrote, "I have a question for Yoda, and it may be the most bizarre question I have, um, I have made in my life." Why does Yoda like to bother a cave? For context, in From a Certain Point of View, Empire Strikes Back, it is revealed that the cave of evil is sentient, and on occasion, Yoda likes to enter the cave of evil, pretend he is affected by its powers, (laughs) and when the cave feels satisfaction, Yoda turns it around to show that he is unaffected, and then he laughs and points at the entrance, and my question is, why? Why? the worst part of the story <laughs> is that he does it multiple times when he's on Dagobah. Oh, yeah. So why do you bully the cave, and how did this start? Oh, stupid sucker cave of evil, yes. Gullible, gullible cave of evil. Hey, 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 cave of evil. Evil old buddy. Oh, got some mustard on your shirt. Oh, <laughs> pop right in the nose. <laughs> oh, oh, cave of evil. Untied your shoelaces are. Oh, <laughs> oh, what a big sucker. <laughs> oh, Cave of Evil would play football with Yoda. Would like to kick this football, would you? Yes, Yoda would hold <laughs> for you. Mm, hold the football, he will. 
hold it real good. <laughs> mm. Yoda is being nice to Cave of Evil. I was about to say, when your name is Cave of Evil, I mean, maybe <gasps> are you the one does making Cave of Evil want flowers and presents? Oh no, Yoda brought candy for Cave of Evil. No, are, you are you it the off. reason you... the cave is evil? No, oh, no, cave just born evil. Just, just force evil can't help itself. Is evil can't help itself. You can't help it. Is is a cave an evil cave? So does evil cave? Evil caves like to be pissed off. Yoda goes and does a does a big favor. Hmm? Hmm? Understand Oscar the Grouch, you humans do, right? Mm hmm Yes. Yes. Evil cave. Wait, 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 wait. Oscar, Oscar the Grouch is not evil. Likes being mad. Yeah, but that doesn't make someone evil. It's not like but, he's, like, using his anger to kill babies. He actually kind of keeps it to himself. Cave of Evil doesn't kill babies. Unless they go into Cave of Evil. Then? Yeah, we, we don't yeah, actually know what Cave it does. of Evil does what Cave of Evil does, you know? Put baby into... Into nest of snakes. What happens? Blame the snakes, do you? No! Blame the person who tossed the baby in the cave. I, mean, I don't know how to respond. <laughs> yeah. Not that Yoda's ever tossed a baby in the cave. That. No. All right. Well, I hope any of that answered your question, Diego. <laughs> mm. Now I have answered the most bizarre question of your life. Happy you can be. I guess you answered it. Well, bye, Yoda. Stupid cave. Bye. There he goes. Uh, he's, uh, he's a bully. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know that Yoda's kind of, <laughs> kind of a, kind of a garbage personality. Uh, you don't listen I mean, to the show. I, I mean, mean, I think that's the one thing our show is has like provided new to the Star Wars universe is a, a real, you know, portrayal of the real Yoda. I mean, for work today, I had to look up a bunch of quotes from Phantom Menace. Or uh, the Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace, not yes. the Nazis, but the movie. Um, but uh, <laughs> y some of Yoda's quotes in there are pretty harsh. Yeah, they yeah. really are. Like he's looking at a ten-year-old boy. He's just like, "Why do you miss your mom?" And Anakin's like, "I'm fucking ten. He's like, "So, <laughs> suck it up." Yeah. So he's suck it up. up. Suck it up, up, little big-headed boy. Mm, giant head you have. Maybe you should put it in the giant head in that giant bull haircut. Yes, hide it in there. That's what Yoda said. All right, <clears throat> let me get a drink because we're not we're doing the long full episodes now. So again, listeners, if you like this new format where we do the uh, recap at the top and then just do our notes for the rest of time, let us know. We'd love to hear back from you. So, oh, let me blow my nose. I gotta uh... get all the way. Yeah. It is full pollen town right now in yeah. Georgia. We are, my red car is a lovely orange right now. It is full time pollen town. All right, and get my drink my water. Mm. All right, <coughs> I think I'm good. Uh, uh, yeah, I got the burp out of the way. You ready? I'm ready. We open on Canary. And I don't know why still, but the kids' tribes are called the Alphas. 
So the alpha, the alphas are going through the jungle because they're going after the crashed ship and Casa's with them and Casa's just like, yay, oh boy, first adventure. And they're actually kind of having like somewhat good time. They're chatting. No one's talking with Casa, but uh, you know, they're all having a fun time. And on their way to the giant crashed ship, they pass a massive mine. Like, uh, like this dugout area, and it's clearly damaged the planet. And it's huge, and it's like a stark difference to the beautiful green of Canari. Because it's like, it's like a pit of death, and it goes deep into the earth. And Cassa's just like, oh boy, this looks horrible. Anyway, all the kids get to the crashed ship. And the Alphas are like, there it is! And Casa's like, alright, let's 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 be cool now, be cool, everyone be cool. And they're like, we are cool, they're like, you're tagging along with us, child. And he's like, I can be cool! And the leader of the Alphas sneaks down and is just like, alright, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move in, check it out. And all the kids are like, alright, we'll move into position. So they all move around. And as the, as the leader is approaching, she's checking all the dead people. She pokes one, and he's fine, and, like, she pokes another one, and all of the dead people, their skin is, like, this awful shade of yellow, and we don't know if it's from the crash ship, or if it's the mine, like, the world of Canari that just killed off the adults, and, like, the children are fine. We don't know. Anyway. I, I thought there was a third possibility that that was just their skin color, and they were dying of something else. They were just yellow people. Have we... Ooh, this is where I, I, I need Charles. Uh, have I had yellow-skinned, like, I, Not that I aliens? know of. Not that not I know, that I know of, of, either. It's a bad color to make aliens because it, it would, like, sort of be racist, like, maybe. And it would also have a bad, just visually bad associations with, like, uh, oh, what is it? Jaundice or something, you know? That's, that's <laughs> why I think they're, like, humans who somehow whatever that was on the ship or on the planet has turned their skin yellow. Yes, like, uh, I, 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 th- I think it's... Because only the people on the ship have the skin color. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, they're dead. Except for one guy. One of the ship, one of the ship people wakes up and he doesn't ask questions. He's, he's not just like, excuse me, I'm injured and we crash. No, this bitch stands up. He's just like, ah, fuck you. And he shoots the leader dead. And all the children are just like, oh my God. And they shoot like 50 blow darts and they kill him. And the people, the people, the kids are freaking out. And they run down to the leader and they're mourning her and they're picking her up and they're freaking out and they're crying because they're literal children and they just watched their friend get horrifically murdered for no reason and they leave. Except for Casa. He looks at the ship and he watches them go and he looks back at the ship and it's clear he's pissed. And that's the end of the flashbacks this week. So we open on Ferrix with the best character or one of them i you guys know i have like 12 best characters they're all the best characters but this is the extra best character of the episode the time grappler and the time grappler walks his jo- holly jolly butt up there and he is just like it's time for christmas carols and to end the day and he like bangs on his anvil to put ferrix to sleep for the night and we have a lovely montage of all the characters we met last week. And they're turning in for the evening. We see Brasso, we see the Pax, we see Bix. And we end on Bix, because Bix is closing her shop. And as she's, like, shutting down and, like, cashing out the drawer, 
a little message pops up and she sees this message on the, her screen and she's just like oh, fucking really now god damn it and her boyfriend tim walks in and tim's just like what's up babe what are you doing what are you looking at? Is everything okay? Let's. You want to go out tonight? Let's go out tonight because you know you're like out with a lot of people who are not me. And she's like, "No, I'm going home. Bye." <laughs> and he's suspicious. And so, uh, he, she gets out of that conversation really fast. And I guess she just didn't close the browser because um, Tim turns back on the screen and he reads what she saw. Which is a, the bulletin from the Primor Corpos, and they want to talk to a very specific Canary male for questioning. And Tim is just like, now I'm extra suspicious. So Cassian heads home, and we meet his mother, Marva, and B2 Emo is there too. And Marva's just like, so, where you been? And he's just like, oh, you know, I fell into a door. And she's like, uh-huh. And according to B2 Emo, something happened, and now the corpos are looking for a male from Canari. What the fuck did you do? And he's just like, I, I don't know. I fucked up, Mom. Mom, I fucked up. And she's like, first of all, this is what you get for sleeping around. And he's like, don't, not right now, Mom. I need help. And she's like, okay, we're gonna figure out who knows that you're from Canari. And he's like, I, I don't know. Like I've told people. You've told people, and she's like, yeah, I told family, and he's like, it's the same! Bix is my family! And, like, other girls that I have had one night, they could be family, they could be, and she's like, no, no! And finally, B2 Emo, like, cause they're having a little back and forth panic attack, and B2 Emo is just like, um, Bix is looking for you, and Cass is like, thank you, I needed a reason to get out of this conversation. I love you, mommy, turn on your heat, I love you, bye-bye, B2, take care of her, make sure she eats, bye! <laughs> so, the droid just runs out of power, and Cassian leaves, and Marvis just like, well, I guess no one's taking care of me, turn on my own damn heater. And he goes to find Bix, and they meet at a tavern, and... Bix is like, so, why are the corpos after you? And he's like, look, it's the reason I need to get the fuck off this planet. I'm not gonna tell you the reasons, but I need to get the fuck off the planet. Are you gonna buy the Star Path or not? You can just have the Star Path, so just give me money. And she's like, but my buyer's coming. My buyer, aka Luthen Rail, is coming. And he's gonna be here in the morning. So can you chill till the morning? And he's like, thank you, Bix, you're the best. And he, like, touches her hand just at the right moment because oh no Tim is watching and Tim is like drunk <laughs> and he's just like oh no they're cheating on me and he's hotter than I am oh no and then Tim storms on out of there mad and doesn't get to see conveniently in time that Bix pushes his hand away and she's just like get out of here Cassian I don't want to see you and he's like still you're the best bye Bix and she's like no uh the time grappler is the best of this episode he's like you can all be the best Bix and they leave so Tim is outside, and he is drunk, and he's the jealous boyfriend, and because this has to harken back to, like, wonderful 1950s American Red Scare, Lavender Scare sort of thing, which I'm about to talk about, he's like, I'm gonna throw my neighbor under the bus, because I'm a jealous boyfriend. And he goes over to the space payphone, and he puts in his little quarters, and he calls the Primor Corpos about Cassian. Who are having, like, a party rock going on. The Corpo's blue noodle-eating workers are just like, Yo! We got a tip! We actually did our jobs! And they're like, Woo! High five! 
And then they fill a wet blanket. Oh my god! So Cyril is the wet blanket window of the show. <laughs> They're, the Corvos are having the best time, and the wet blanket, wet blanket that is Cyril Karn comes in and just goes, Vump! And so Cyril comes in, and he's just like, No parties. This is the no fun zone. Also, why does this say that this man is from Fest? And why is this a thing? And they're like, yeah, he's from Fest. Here's his picture. But Cyril is a step ahead of it because he has a tip of his own. Because in walks the hostess from the brothel Cassian went to in episode one. And she walks on in there and she is able to identify Cassian. That night on Ferrix, Tim is at home and he's still suspicious and sad and drunk. And that comes to his door. And it's Bix. And she's just like, hey babe, is it too late? I couldn't sleep. And he's just like, yes sucks! And she's like, yes sucks! And then they badoink. And then, yeah. Anyway, back with the corpos. Everything's going well. Cyril is just like, yeah, I'm gonna get my guy. And then, in walks in Sergeant Lionel Mosk. Linus, sorry, Linus. His name is Linus. Because um, I had to look it up. I was like, that's a Snoopy character. Um, Cyril meets Linus Mosk. And Mosk comes in. He's just like, you want to be the bestest friend, sir? And Cyril's like, uh, what? And Linus is like, look. This place has gone to hell. No one believes in Lady Justice. And everyone is going so soft. And I am not here for this corruption. And Cyril's like, oh my god, bro, you get me. I, I love Lady Justice. I, I have socks dedicated to her in my room. And Linus is like, oh my god, me too. We should start a D club. And they're like, yeah. And like, Linus is like, look, we need to fight back because this rebellion is growing. And if we are the first line of defense and we are mob cops with power. And Cyril's like, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah! I'm here for this! When do we start? And he's and Linus like, we're bros, aren't we? And Cyril's like, ah, bros? Ah, let's just go get the bad guy! And they're like, yeah, they go out because Cyril doesn't know how to make friends. Anyway, back of Ferrix. <laughs> Cassian uh, goes to the junkyard and he spends the night getting the Imperial Star Path unit from his ship to sell to Luthen the next day. Put a pin in the Star Path unit because it's a big old important thing when Dedra comes in two episodes. Just remember that. And then Cassian is nervous about everything and we meet finally Luthen Rail. Luthen is in his cool little ship that talks to him that I hope we get to see a lot more of because I really like that ship. And he lands on Ferrix and he walks into town. And the day starts with a time grappler, and he wakes everybody up, and Bix gets up with Tim, wakes up, but Tim's already awake, and he looks anxious, and she's just like, are you okay? Like, why are you watching me sleep? Also, what the fuck not having coffee ready? Like, you didn't think I would want coffee? Why are you watching me sleep? What's going on with you? And Tim's like, I'm just tired. What's going on with you? And she's like, I need you to open the store. No reason. And he's like, cool. I'm tired for no reason. And then they awkwardly stare at each other and don't communicate. And then Bix leaves. <laughs> and back with Cassian, 
B2 email brings Cassian some comm devices. Remember that the, Cassian has comm devices. This is very important for next week. And B2 email is like, you're leaving. Why are you leaving us? And Cassian's like, I love you. Take care of Marva. Bye-bye. And he rolls away all sad. And during all this, Marva is looking for B2 Emo, and she's reminiscing in Cassian's room. And it's also important to note that she finds his little canary blow dart, which you would think that she would hide, knowing that they're looking for him. But no, they don't. Cassian goes to the port to buy a ticket from Zanwin, who doesn't... who isn't in the series too much, but Zanwin has a really impactful death in the f- season finale, so just wanted to note that the Zanwin's here, because he has probably the most uncomfortable death when we come to, you know... The finale. Anyways, Zanari, uh, Zanwin is just like, Hey, do you know what he wants from Kanari? And Cassian's like, ha, 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 Why are you asking about that? Why, why are you asking about Kanari? There's no, I what? What's a Kanari? And Zanwin's like, okay, well, it's a planet, and apparently it was destroyed by Imperial mining disaster, and everyone died. And Cassian's like, that's so interesting! Can I get a ticket out of here, please? <laughs> and Zan is like, alright, and they haggle a bit. And Zan's like, here's your ticket off the planet. Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And Zan is like, why are you talking five pitches higher? And Cassian's like, no reason. This is my normal talking voice. Bye, Zan. And he walks off. Uh, and meanwhile, the corpos are coming. <laughs> the corpos are coming. Everyone freak out. And Linus is in a ship, and they're all heading to Ferrix, and Linus gives a very rousing speech about how we are in charge, and we gotta keep order and lady justice together, and we gotta stop these people from rising up, and the men are like, yeah! And Linus looks at Cyril, and he's like, alright, sir, your turn! And Cyril's like, hi, I'm Cyril, I'm really glad that you're here, I too believe in lady justice, and I super believe in all of you. Please clap. <laughs> They're all just like, yay. And Linus was like, that was the best speech I ever heard. And Cyril's like, I really like you, man. <laughs> let's, t- let's stick around for the season. And meanwhile, finally, this the episode ends with a shuttle to Ferrix. And Luthen is on it. And Luthen encounters the worst thing ever in the universe. A very nice businessman talking to him. Bum, bum, bum. And the man's name is Willie. And he's just wants to talk to him and be friendly on the subway. And Luthen is like, dude, I-, I know you're here for world building, but let's just end the episode. I got stuff to do. See you next week. The end. Although it, it really ends with a part that I, I didn't notice as much last time as this time. It's a the, just that part with Cassie and he's walking through the junkyard and it's a, the theme it's just the regular symphonic music from the show but there is a rock and roll drum set do you want to know what the name of that song is because it's lives rent free, free on my playlist I I probably I, I have it probably but what is it called Um, it is called I'm to look this up today uh, let me pull it up um, it's in my Let's Get Some Writing Done playlist. Uh, the song's called Pilgrim. Well, Which I feel drum. like is very fitting. It's a very fitting song for, um, for Cassian because as of next week, uh, his life's about to turn upside down again. And 
the very like nature of his character is a person who journeys to a sacred place. Well, a technical note of it, you don't hear a rock drum set in Star no. Wars very often. Very rarely. Being played rock style. But you don't. This is another thing that I love about this show. Very un-Disney-like. Somebody just set up a rock drum, like had the music, and and they added that drum afterwards. And that drum was just sitting in a room. It wasn't like mic'd up, you know, with every little, every every part of it. You can hear the boom of the room. Somebody just set a microphone, you know, 10, feet, 10, 15 feet away from the drum set and said, put the headphones on him with the music and said, go, buddy. And it's like hard drum play, you know, hard rock drum playing. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's 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 rough and dirty and it shouldn't work in Star Wars. And it's perfect. And, it, and it, it's yeah. I, I just love their attention. Most of my notes are are their attention to detail stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Story story wise and you know just technical wise. I um, that's actually like one of my favorite songs of the the soundtrack. Uh, well, it's pretty rocking. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I I can only really think of a few times off the top of my head, and the only reason one of these is coming to mind because you made a big huff about it. In the Clone Wars movie, they have a rock. They use rock music. And you, our very first like episode, like you threw a fit. <laughs> You're like, I, there should be no rock music in Star Wars. <laughs> it works in this. It, it, it's tailored to the scene. It's made to, it, 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 it adds energy to the scene. It, it, really, it really psychs up the ending for it. So, yeah, it's, it's totally appropriate there. And the but, other time I can think of rock there's actually a song in rebels but we don't have it because they haven't released the season three and four soundtrack disney um there's a song called zeb rocks and it's zeb listening to the radio while he's talking to ezra and it's the music in the background on the radio yeah and it's it's a cool little diddle like it, it's, it's okay. a little it's, a, it's like, a little rock song that that rock that that and like the clone wars rock songs were kind of like anime music rock you know they were still very very uh um you know studio productions they were very you know formed type of stuff this sounds like a raw you know this sounds like something that would be in a metal out it sounds like when they used to mic john but they put john bottoms drums at the bottom of a stairway and put the microphone 20 feet away from him to get the heaviest sound out of it you know Whereas if like if they were if it was like Disney post production, they would take the drum set and set, they would take their drum set out and they would set it all up meticulously and mic all the toms and the kick bass and have a few, bunch over all the cymbals so they could mix it all really good and get a nice clean sound out of it. And this one's just like <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. I love that's actually one of my favorite songs of the soundtrack. <laughs> you probably heard it at some point while listening to this because I'm sure Chris is editing it in. I'm sure right. it's gonna, right about it. <laughs> it's gonna show its face. Yeah, it's gonna show its face somewhere in this episode. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I'll start with the notes. Uh, I know I mentioned and talked a little bit about this last week, but I was so excited to talk about rebels or rebels. Talk about Andor. And I was so excited to talk about this character that I actually absolutely forgot that he wasn't in the episode. <laughs> but I want to talk about the time grappler. I love him. 
I love the time grappler. Well, you see, and they're like, we're Andor isn't very Star Wars. Time grappler is very Star Wars. He's yes. just there. He's there doing his thing. You don't ex you, you 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 get any explanation just that you can tell this guy's into it. You this can tell it's job? kind of there's a ritual. Yeah, but there's a ritual aspect to it, you know. Because he, he poses and he breathes. Like his he breathes like at certain times and he yeah. exhales at certain times. Like, like some that like somebody like the last time grappler who was an old man, that's how he taught him how to do it. He's like, go up there and clear your mind first, you know, because you, you want to hit the and you got and there's no like notes um designated on that like because because it's sort of like reminiscent of like those woodblock rhythm instruments you'll see in gift shops you know they're they're kind of like a little xylophone but they'll have three they'll have like cuts in the wood and where you or they'll have lines and where you hit it it makes a different note this one is just a big piece of metal so he has to know where to hit it to to get each note and i'll bet you there's a different little variation of them for every t for all the times that he does it in different times of year, probably. So yeah, he's really into it, and they just present it, and it's just there. Yeah. No, no explanation, nothing. Nobody ever goes like, "That's the time grappler up there." You'd only know he's a time grappler because we're reading stuff about it, but because you know. of the credits, that's right. the only reason we know what right. his name is and yeah. like i i love him and like a lot of like a lot of fans love him like he never actually has a line of dialogue unless you count him like sparta kicking uh, a stormtrooper and going <laughs> as a line of dialogue um he never speaks but like we get him and the reason <sighs> i love him is because of everything you just said and he is the embodiment of ferrix they are a culture of sound We'll see the sound come into their their culture as of next episode. And also the finale is a really good example. They are a culture of sound. Um, and he also represents their uniqueness because of the fact that we don't need an explanation to understand him. He's a very good visual storytelling kind of guy. And because of that also is... Star Wars is a... There's so much technology in Star Wars that Ferrix could easily have a mechanical bell tower that does the exact same thing but no they have a man who marches up there every morning and every night because it's just a piece of what yeah, ferrix no, they're, is they're, they're clay of the earth people so they're yeah they're yeah. Tra like tradition people and it just adds this uniqueness to ferrix that you don't see anywhere else because of someone like the time grappler and it's just such a good representation of what this culture is. Um, and a character that is like in three episodes and never says anything. But people well, fucking love him. I love him. He's one of know, my favorite characters. And all, all he does that, is kick a stormtrooper and hit a bell. <laughs> that just made me think it. Also, that, that, that scene in combination with Willie the salesman pretty much tells you that like... Ferrix has been like this for a long time. They're 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 an industrial thing. They they've been working through all the political structures that do there because you need you know the the mechanics for all your spaceships and and warships and stuff like that. And between that and that, like that's why it's not too crazy there because it's probably not very different. Like, you know, the salesman's like, yeah, you know, it's always the same when you come in, this is always the same place, you know? So, you know, it's not, it's not 
um, particularly different now under the empire than it has been any other time. And it probably won't be because it's necessary. You know, it's got to function. So it's going to be allowed to function. um, Willie does mention how they've changed charging people. Because he said, like, you used to be able to just drive in across the plains, but now they charge you on the way in and now they charge you on the way out. But then then he did that thing, that typical thing of guys like that, where he just undercut it and he goes and he goes, you 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 could just drive out of the plane and then you take the taxi in and then he goes, that costs you an arm and a leg too. <laughs> and then he goes, well, I guess I get you going in and out. So he's sort of like, he he's just doing the thing, the, the like, Hey pal, isn't it suck that you got to pay all this money? You know, it, but it's, it isn't, it's the same, you know, it's, it's just a different way. Now they're fly, They're not taking a taxi that charges you an arm and a leg. They're taking a, a, a flying shuttle, you know, but I, I, I took it for like he's he's basically sort of like undercutting his own argument, but but he just wants to talk. You know, he's just looking for something that Luther will be like, oh, yeah, oh, 60, 60 credits. I uh, it's funny because I just watched um, a thing last night. I, it was John Oliver and he was talking about timeshares and how they I, like I corner you. Too. And they corner you on vacation and then they just talk to you until you like whittle you down and buy one. And I was like, Willie, no. Don't give Luther a timeshare. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. But, yeah. I mean that—that's why I like Willie too. Like, you know, he's clearly a more like—I I don't think he lives on Ferrix, but it's clear that he's like works here because he—he's familiar with it. He says he's been he's here a, for a long time. He's a salesman. He's a go-between between his corporate headquarters. You know, he probably lives on some family with his wife and kids with their. He corporate probably lives on Morlana One. Yeah, with the my, my dad. Are. My dad had. My dad wasn't a salesman, but he he ran construction sites but it was probably a very similar you know he had he had places that he would go very often to do you know do stuff for his business and and you know would would go wherever you know and this guy's just going and brokering a deal for his you know private factory that builds the actual ships for the parts and components or the raw materials from ferric or whatever they get from ferrix you know and he's just been on. He probably has a whole route, you know. He probably goes to all the planets that are digging themselves up, just like all the guys who go to all the countries that are digging themselves up these days, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like that's that's why I like characters like Willie and the Time Grappler. Like they're very much there just to world build. They're not yeah. really doing much for the plot. They're just helping, like with the world building in a very unique, fun way. With two they, very I different mean, they're the characters that are in any world. They're 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 the characters that you're you're going to run it. You like this for the first time. This is you know, for, in depth. We're seeing a world with you know it's it's very much like resistance but it's even more in depth with this and you're running into the type of the people that you would run in you know you're running into corporate types and stuff <laughs> you know instead of all the military stuff it, it mm-hmm. it's like this sort of we get a sort of general ramping up of like okay ground level now we're dealing with the corporate people but now as Cassian gets further and further into it you know you get closer and closer to dealing with stormtroopers <laughs> yeah and then you get into like the ISB yeah and, and honestly my um my next note is very much along those same lines like i love the opening montage like after the time grappler um hits like hits the anvil and stuff like that like we see like a little montage of just the people of Ferrix. like brasso comes out he hangs up his gloves um, the packs come out, um, and like 
um, Salmon like tussles his son's hair, and like he tussles Wilma women's hair, which you know are just these little character beats that help build up um, the people of Ferrix. So like when we see when they take the time to like for example establish like Salmon's relationship with his son Wilman, it makes it much more devastating when Salmon is executed towards the end of the season and Wilman becomes a rebel. <laughs> like so, it's like it's just these little things. Like we see Nurchi like counting his credits and like glaring at people around him to show that like he doesn't trust his community which makes his change more apparent and it's just they don't have to give us this montage of the people around Ferrix, but they take the time to really i made this i made this stupid analogy taking the time to really set each stone on the path builds a great road to the journey of the show oh boy it's a bad analogy but it's it's true like when you they take the time to lay every stone and like this show is very good at knowing how many stones it needs. Because if you put down too many stones, then they start running into each other. But a good road knows how many stones. And it doesn't have too little and it doesn't have too well, many. Here's uh, just, to, just to belabor that that more. Yes. This, this road is leading somewhere. And yeah. they, they know, unlike a lot of stories that get, that get put into this sort of thing... He knew, knew where that road was. So when he's laying stones, he knows what stones he has to lay. There's a lot, a lot of shows that will, you know, they'll, 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 they'll have an idea for a season or whatever, so they can lay their stones for that. But then they, they're making it up as they go along. So once you get past a certain point in those kind of stories, you, you, they can take stuff from the beginning and, and sort of retcon it into a stone leading up to that. But that's sort of working it in reverse. This this show obviously knows. Oh, the, we know where the road's going, and, and that's to him sitting sitting by the ocean <laughs> and getting blown up. You know, so yeah, that's a luxury of this show is they it knows where it's going and it it can lay those stones, and it's very good writing. They thought it out. They took the time to th- think it out, and. They, they they made sure everything is serving this story that happens in it or that, that they show yeah. us, you know? I'm actually about to come back to that that very point when I get to the conversation with Marva and Cassian. Um, but I, I do have, like, a little uh, side note of when Tim is reading the bulletin. Not all the time. I want uh-huh. to clarify. Not all the time. I have a note, time. too. I don't mind if we had more times where they translated Arabesh for us in Star Wars. I don't want all the Arabesh translated, but I do kind of like the BBC Sherlock kind of style text where it doesn't break the action, it doesn't break the <sighs> character, and it furthers the story without me having to look up what, like, Alex Damon or Screen Crush has translated the Arabesh because they do it for us. And... I don't want it in all Star Wars, but I wouldn't mind having translated Arabesh more. It's, it's a the way they do it is in in like they it is a very stylish. It, it works, reminds so. me of BBC Sherlock. They they superimpose it over the on the screen, which is very like not something we're used to in Star Wars, but it works. And I noticed that this time, and I'm like, okay, you got to do that. And it's their their way of like not just putting it in English on the screen because like they don't even translate the the Canarian in this episode. When you, if you put on the subtitles, it just says speaking Canarian. So, um, but it it works. I I also noticed that like 
they could have gotten away. They could have gotten away with it. Like not, I, they might've filmed it without having that because they do explain it later on when he goes back and you can pretty much suss it together when the robots like, you know, reads the exact same message out loud. So I thought, I think maybe they, they, uh, they, when they went back over it, they go, maybe, you know, it's not perfectly clear that, that that's the same message on there. And you might not figure it out till later on what he was doing. So they, I think they might have superimposed that later on, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to that scene, just to make it perfect, you know, maybe to clarify it a little better because the th- I think the part with the robot was meant to, to, to tie that all up, what he had seen on the screen. But then they, and, and it's not as much like maybe like not trusting the viewers to see it. It's, it would be a good call. <laughs> you know, it did clear it up and it's not intrusive, but that's yeah. what I think happened there. That's what I think happened there. I think they had to like, they were like, well, maybe we should clarify this a little more. Because like a lot of times, like whenever there's sometimes something like this in other Star Wars, you would have like a character give another character a data pad and the, the other character would be just like, I am now reading the bulletin as my character just so we can further this plot along. But like they let it linger on Tim so like he can act because Tim would not come up to a computer and be like, we are searching for a mail from Canari. Please call the corpo, blah, blah, blah. Like, a person just doesn't, like, read stuff out loud. It's not natural. And so I, I do like how it's handled. And, again, I, I don't want it, like, all the time in Star Wars, but I wouldn't mind more of it. I don't know how to read Arabesh. Yeah, it, 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 it works. Do you remember, God, this had to be back in Clone Wars. You came up with the best idea for graffiti. Do you remember this? No. So you can, and it's it's stuck with me ever since. I, I this was like years ago. You came up with this. You came up with the idea of writing an arabesque in graffiti. If you can read this, you're a nerd. Yeah. Okay. And, and I remember it because you would you were like you know like I would come along and read it and just be like, hey. This was a, this was in the days before every like Easter egg video thing on on. YouTube is waiting to translate the Arabish. They're waiting to freeze frame everything and translate everything in Arabish now. I think I, that was a little before that. Because they're going to catch it now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but not me. You want to know why? I don't give a shit about translating Arabish. Me either. Which is why I like this whole like BBC Sherlock take on it. Because, <laughs> you know, if that's your jam, more power to you. I, I, it should always you, you be will an do extra. It, for it me. should never be ne- a, ne- a necessity. It should always be a little extra or whatever. But exactly, yeah. exactly, which is why I like it here because it was needed and they handled it. And I thought I liked how they handled it. So, all right. So, about the conversation with Marva and Cassian, like, the, so this is our first scene with Marva. Um, and I really love this scene. But, but and I like the scene for like a lot of different reasons, and it's like point by point of why I like this scene. So first of all, I like that it establishes that Cassian is not a full-on spy yet, because he's just a thief, and he's a really good thief. But if he was a full-on spy, no one would know he was from Canary. 
no one. And I like that, that he's not like at his Rogue One level yet. He is still just like a guy in that way. And he's not, you know, he makes mistakes and he probably has gotten drunk and like slept with the girl. And it's just like, by the way, I'm from Canary. No, well, I mean, they just found out because he was asking it. Like, literally, I don't know why they jumped to he was from Canary because he's at, well, he was asking about his sister who was from Canary. So that's how they found out that's through, how they through jumped the bartender. Because the hostess walked in and right. confirmed that. Right, right. He, so, you know, I mean, it was easy for them. I mean, it's perfectly makes sense that he found the hostess because he was tracing those guys back their route backwards and then questioned her. And she's a little guy was asking about a, his sister from Canary. He wasn't even asking about his sister. He's asking about a girl from Canary. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a jump. To well, it, but 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 then he did confirm it because the hostess says, "Are you a husband? What are you?" And he says, "I'm looking for my sister." Okay, yeah, okay. So so that's so how he they, did confirm it. Yeah, but it must mean Canari means something because otherwise, who would care? You know, because it, nobody even really knows about it. You know, so that. But yeah, but, it, it, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a um. You know, just like plot element, it's not really super important. I don't. But think. it is. Yeah, it is when they're looking for him. I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah, but I also like this scene because it also does a good job of setting up Marva's grayness as a character as well. And I'll, I'll get more into like Marva's grayness next week. Um, but um, why would she need to lie that Cassian was from Fest if she wasn't hiding stuff from of her own as well? Well, why not just say he was from, like, I found, found this kid on Canary. And, like, why would she need to lie on all her on all of his documents well, that he was because, from Fest? Because she knew whatever was going on on Canary, she was trying, she, like, they came right after that ship, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, there, like, Canary, something something was shady was going on in Canary. So Which she we do well find sh- out, and I will go into more when we get to Zanwin's right. part of this, because right. there so, is stuff so going on. So that's why you would hide these from Canary, because just, like, just to be careful, because the Empire might come after him. If they were whipping over to Canary to get the ship, they might want all the, the witnesses from it. So she just, like, yeah, was taking him, taking him off the... And, and honestly, what are her? What is she and Clem doing next week when they write when they get there? They're raiding that ship for yeah, parts. They're plundering. Stuff. Yeah, they're plundering. And so, like, it, it clearly sets up that she has this kind of like shady background as well. And I really like that greenness about Marva's character because, like, everyone on Felix has a greenness to them. And that's well, why her I like shadiness Ferrix. was probably what made her smart enough knowledgeable enough to be like yeah maybe it's better to cover up that we got this kid from canary you know mm-hmm. and i i like that she's not an expert either because cassian's like you told jesse and we meet jesse later like jesse's a great character we meet her towards the end of the season and uh because she's one of the daughters of ferrix that helps with like um with uh marva's funeral and she's also the one that gets the ship ready that like brasso bix woman and b2 get off like she's the one flying the ship and so it's a good name drop to a build up who will when we meet jesse later but like um uh marva is like but jesse's family why wouldn't i tell her that right and so it shows that like none of them are expert spies <laughs> they're just like oh we'll just tell the people we trust which ends up being a community because you know community talks and right. everybody knows now 
Um, that's how Bix found, because, like, you know, Cassian clearly told Bix, which Marva calls him out on, and Bix at some point told Tem, <laughs> which is why everything happens. And I like that, because, like, it shows, like, the community and how they all look out for each other, but also how, like, sometimes community can bite you. But it well, also they're does also good... living their lives not thinking that they have to be too careful at this point, Z- you know? Exactly, which is a big theme of the show, of, like, what happens when you're um, it it really you know I'll come back to this a little bit with Cyril um, because s- something that Cyril says comes back to what Marva says at her funeral. Um, and where am I going with this? My brain stopped. Oh no. Um. 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 Fuck. <laughs> um. And, oh, they're sleeping. Everyone's sleeping at this point because they never had a reason to worry about the Empire. Because they just were living their lives. And it's that whole idea of you don't care about a thing until it's in your own backyard. And now it's coming and starting to get into their own backyard. And now they have to be like, oh, God, who knows you're from Canary? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I also just, like, really like the scene setting up Cass and Marva's relationship. Like, it's so clear that they love each other. Like, the very first thing, like, Cassian does when he gets there is just, like, hi, Mom, and he kisses her on the cheek, and he's just like, oh, my God, like, let's turn on the heat, and are you okay? And, I, and like, he's like, don't worry about my face. I don't want to worry about you. And I, I really love their relationship in this because I was thinking – we don't get a lot of mother-son relationships in Star Wars. The Not only for one very I, long. <laughs> the, the only one that I can really think of is Anakin and Shmi. Yeah. And I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting. I know there's, like, some book relationships, like, with... It's, um, it's literally a handful of scenes, so... Yeah, but I, I'm here to have more mother-son relationships in Star Wars because we don't get them a lot. And I do like that they show how Cass... Cass and Marva are fighting because they love each other. She loves him and wants to protect him and is trying to help him trace back. And, like, she doesn't buy his alibi for a minute. And he's like, this is my alibi. And she was like, "Uh uh-huh, what about Kanari? She (laughs) taught him to be sneaky. Exactly. Um, And I... I'm going to read this 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 uh, note. This is also incredibly ri- incredible writing, too. So many character beats and plot setups are here. All of the stuff I've mentioned up to this point about this scene is in a span of about 90 seconds. And, this is, and at the moment of writing this note, this scene isn't finished yet. Every line of dialogue is contributing to the plot, the yep. character, or the world building. Yeah. Yeah, while such, being natural. While being natural. And it's just like little things of just like, like the like mentioning Jesse. Jesse's going to come later, but like this scene helps set up like Marva's relationship with Jesse. So when we find out that Marva was a daughter of Ferrix and we see Jesse, like we can understand why Jesse goes out of her way to help get Cassian off the planet and help protect Marva and take care of her as she's dying. And it's just like little. Like, it's, it's a throwaway line of, of Cassian just being like, you told Jesse and Marva going, well, Jesse's family, <laughs> you know, but it's it's a line that sets up a character, sets up the plot later and helps set the world of like what the daughters yeah. of Ferrix are. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a throw. It seems like a throwaway line now. Yeah, when- there's there's a on the second viewing, you realize there's a lot of this that doesn't make sense till a second viewing. Absolutely, and it's like it's such good. I I call it economic writing 
I don't know if there's an official term for it, but I call it economic line writing, where every line of dialogue in the scene is contributing to something, and it's doing in the, a small amount of time, but doing a lot. Yeah, so it's, no, it's called good writing. That's what yeah. good writing is. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, 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 it's uh, well, I shouldn't say, because economic writing doesn't have to be good. It can do it very poorly. It can economically tell the story and not do it well. But this does it while having every character be true, true to their character while serving the story, you know, at large with everything serving the story at large you know it, nobody's just being an exposition ma machine or acting according to the plot or everything everybody is true to their characters and their motivations and their place in the story at yeah. all times um did you have anything else with the Cass and marva scene mm, not really all right so i want to talk about tem <laughs> I get, actually, the only thing I got to say about Marva is the scene. It was just something you said about it, and the where she picks up his stick. It's a nice transition back into the into the flashback, you know, yeah. with his stick. But it, I don't think it's foolish for her to keep the stick because I don't think it's, there's it's I don't not. think there's the odds of anybody going. Oh wait, this is from you know Canary are are very very slim. They're just it's just another piece of you know, junk in their house, you know? Yeah, that was mostly me joking, but I, yeah, you know, the fact that the Corpos find it next arc or next episode, it's just one of those things of like, oh, you, like, the chances of them finding that and just being like a canary blow dart uh, are very slim. So, like, yeah, she would keep that because pretty much the clothes on his back and that stick is all he brought with him from Canary. So it makes sense that it's sentimental and they would want to keep it, so... All right, I want to talk about Tim. Oh, Tim. Tim. Tim, Tim, Tim. Um, I actually really like Tim's character. I like his role in the story, but I also like that he's gone as of next episode. <laughs> and he's gone. Um, because Tim is very much a representation of the kind of people who would call the government during the Red and the Lavender scares. Do you think your neighbor is banging your wife and you're a jealous husband? Call the government and say he's a communist and yep. they'll come get him. Yep. Is there a guy at work who is promoted for a position that you wanted? Call the government and tell them that that guy is gay to get him fired and out of your way. And it's he so much represents this ideal of it, it, it like the reason it reminded me specifically of the red and the lavender scares like we're, we're very much taught the red scare in school but the lavender scare was about the same time and it was specifically targeted towards the queer community where they passed actually executive orders that would remove queer people from government positions and they weren't allowed to be in the government and uh it is a tactic that they use for the government in power to stoke fear and purposely turn communities against each other because when the communities are looking at each other and pretty much hunting these boogeymen that are not there, it helps the government hold and keep power, which is very much Tim's role here. Well, if it that, also means you can get you could you can get rid of somebody if they are queer, or you could just get rid of them by by smearing them as that uh, saying that they are, you know, or or saying that they're a communist, you know, or, like or if, saying they're sympathetic to to people, yeah. 
Yeah, if you don't like your neighbor, say he's a communist and the government won't come take them away. The like, big, it's, big difference with this, though, is Cassian is actually the guy they're looking for. You know, he's not just mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to turn him in. But it's the same, it's the same, you know, that guy isn't turned in. He's not turned in because that guy wants to do the right thing. That guy's just like, I want to get this guy out of the picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a um, way. Exactly. But but I like how it's framed that it's all framed because of Tim's jealousy. Because, uh, actually, I'm going to go ahead and jump a little bit to my note. Um, my note later on is when Bix wakes up in his apartment and it's the next morning and they're clearly not talking to each other. Like, he's watching her sleep, which makes her suspicious. And she's just like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm tired. And she's, she's like, okay, and doesn't pry. And then when he asks, like, what are her errands, she doesn't tell him. So, like, there's no trust there. And it's, I, I was thinking about this, that I don't think Bix actually suspected that Tim turned in Cassie, Cassian until next episode. Because, one, she never saw him in the bar, so she doesn't even know he was there. And, two, next week, she's honestly surprised and angry at him. Yeah, she thinks she's she, just being a, he's, she th- he's obviously that kind of guy. He's obviously not a good feeling, ta- he's, a, he's a grumpy jealous sort of guy that doesn't talk about his feelings so that's probably why she's just generally awkward with him she's like oh he's being you know he's he's being uh, you know but she's also again. she's also hiding so much and he right. knows that he's no, hiding she's being manipulative to him too you know she's giving yeah. him reason to and then like to doubt her and then covering it up with sex afterwards being like hey guess what let's have sex is everything all right no Aww. yeah like it's it's and, and this goes back to like the grayness of the characters of Ferris that I love is yeah. people Bix, do shit like this. <laughs> Bix is feeding his doubts, which is making him extra paranoid. And but 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 like the reason I find it like really heartbreaking is I think Bix really truly honestly wants to be with Tim. And it adds to the heartbreak of A when he goes behind her back and turns in Cassian, but also next week she watches him get shot. And she's genuinely t- like crying and trying to get to him and trying to save him. And she really, truly does care about him. And it's just this really toxic situation I of think she cares about him a bit, but she she I think he's she's more important to him than he is to her, you know. I, I disagree so. because like rewatching the scene where he gets shot. She is chained to a wall and trying to get to him and screaming and crying. Well, I, I don't think she doesn't like have like love and affection for him, but I don't. But I, I, I think I think he's like a boyfriend for her. And like, you know, there's there's I think there's, you know, she despite what she feels for him, there's bigger things in her life. You know, and and ultimately, they're obviously not things that she can include him in. <laughs> or she hasn't included him yet, and I think that's the difference. Is because she ha- she has this past with Cassian, and it's I, well, not I like don't th- I don't it, think Tim is the kind of guy who's going to get in- want to get involved in any of that stuff. That that uh, also, <laughs> and I think because like she excludes him so much because like. Cassian, it's I can't I can't remember if this was the episode I watched recently with my stepmom or if it was last week. But at some point, like she he talks about her father, and he's like, "Do you remember when I used to climb over that wall and your father would get mad at me?" Like that kind of hints that like they've known each other for a long time because we don't see Bix's father in the picture at any time, so we have to assume that he's just not there. 
So that tells me that some time has passed. But like, it's clear that she trusts Cassie, and this is they they've dated before. So Tim has a lot of reasons to doubt, and she's not like doing anything to help him. So, but but and that's kind of the tragedy of this is it does frame Tim as a bad guy, and I'm in no way defending him because what Tim does is horrible. But she's also not like aiding him in this community atmosphere to be like, look, I am doing some stuff. I need you to trust me. Cassie and I are nothing. Like, she's not doing much of anything to help that. And, but, like, Tim, also, everything he does is on his own accord. He does not trust her and doesn't stop him from banging her. But, like, he is clearly jealous. He's not trusting the people around him either. And he's the he's part of the reason why everything happens. And the irony of this is Cassian is the person who fucked up. And he happens to be right. And so it is a consequence of... Cassian's actions and Tim even though Tim is the one that calls the corpos and is shot part of that is slightly blood Tim's blood on Cassian's hands as well and it's also Tim's own blood on his own hands because he's the one to call and and like that's I know I sound like I'm talking in circles but like that's why I love this story is the complication of it it's such a complicated it doesn't have to yeah but that's life you don't have to have you don't have to have Tim be an all-around bad guy. You don't yeah. have to be have him be a, you know, he's kind of a surly, surly dick, and you kind of don't like him for what he does, but at the same time, it's not something that, you know, it's not something that, you know, is unreasonable that would happen in that circumstance and would happen and- in that. And, and yeah, everybody's everybody's faults are causing troubles and you know it's 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 a big mess it's not it's like real it's more like real life and that's why i really love it like we're getting this like big messy story in the middle of a star war and but also like it also frames that tem is just as much of a victim of the brutality of the corpos when he shows up to save we'll probably talk we'll definitely talk more about this next week but like when he shows up to like see bix chained a wall he walks up and he goes what are you doing and they shoot him on the spot and you can't right you can't do this story without it being messy it's a messy story um, and speaking of mess, I just wanted to throw in this, beca- throw this in here because I find it ironic because Disney owns Star Wars. Um, the whole like Red Scare was a very common tactic by Walt Disney when his workers went on strike wanting a la- labor union or when his competitors were doing a little too well. Good old Walt Disney would call his friends in the government and say that those labor workers that wanted to unionize or his competitors were communists just to get them out of his way. He was a big proponent of being like, yeah, I like this Red Scare thing. Honestly, honestly, (laughs) I'll say he really believed they were communists because just by the nature of what they were doing in that time period, if you were if you were like, I mean, Walt Disney is like ultra capitalist. (laughs) You viewed those anybody trying to unionize and put the squeeze on you as being commies, you know, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I, but also it was also very convenient, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have like, I might as George well Lucas ahead. doesn't have the best record either. No, Lisa, <laughs> hey, I wrote all about this at Dork Side of the Forest. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's baked into all the media that we're going to watch. You know, there's very yeah. little media that's not going to have some of this baked. It, some 
you know, is it, it's 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 yeah. And and I was I'll I'll say this. Andor's really anti-fascist. It ain't anti-capitalist. <laughs> it, but Star Wars is not an anti. Has never had really an anti-capitalist. Uh, it's sort of just like woo right around that, you know. So I also, if you want to have a fun, I'm going to say fun in quotations night. Google the words George Lucas class action lawsuit. Have fun. <laughs> um. One other thing I want to talk about with Bix and Tem since we're here, um, just as a general note for anyone who wants to write queer rep, this episode gives Tem and Bix a love scene. Of course, it's not a full-on sex scene, but, you know, we see Bix put her pants on, and it's fully insinuated that, like, they fucked. They absolutely fucked. That was the whole point. She goes oh, to the room, she takes off her clothes. Yeah, they absolutely yeah, fucked. Yeah. And a few they're episodes. talking about it beforehand they're, she it's it's like a and they have a relationship where every once in a while she's like she's putting limits on it she's like hey we only meet once a week and every once in a while we get a little treaty treat in there you know and he's mm-hmm. just like yeah 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 and she's <laughs> like maybe later this week we get the we get a little treaty treat date you know a, a subgenius you know signed sex date you know guaranteed sex date the the, the subgenius used to have contracts for and 24-hour marriages but so, yeah she was just like maybe late but later this week how about our date is a special date and he's like oh yeah and then she shows up and he's grumpy and surling at home and she's like well maybe a little maybe maybe treat time will will make this better you know and you know with a guy like him maybe it does yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe it did for about till he fell asleep, but then then he was just like, I don't trust this. Why is she coming here and like clouding my mind with sex? But like, and then the next scene, we see her putting her pants back on. So it's very clear that they fucked. The reason I'm bringing this up is in a few episodes, we're going to meet Vel and Cinta, two women who are dating. They are in a relationship together. The most that Vel and Cinta do is mention they're a couple it hints at them sharing a blanket, and they touch hands. They mm-hmm. never get a kiss, while Bix and Tim get a full-on makeout scene in this episode. Yeah, if, but it's kind on, of a plot on, element. On, hold, no, hold on, hold on. Let me finish my point. If you want to write queer representation and you want to write these characters equality, give your queer characters the same actions as your heterosexual characters. Um, let Vel and Cinta have a scene in bed together. Let Vel and Cinta kiss. I have zero issue with Tim and Bix having a sex scene, but if you're not letting your queer characters get the same treatment, then you're not writing equality. But I would love for this also to happen because the, oh boy, the pearl clutchers will lose their fucking shit yeah, but, but if that's... Vel and Cinta so much walked into a room together and shut the door to fade to black. Yeah, but, you're not going to get but... Andor's not going to push the buttons of the pearl clutchers though. They're, that's not that they're, they're not in that they're not they're, as they're not in the fandom they're probably not in the like let's push the pearl clutchers and you, you underestimate you got, the you power. You have Disney too. You you underestimate the power of the YouTube hate mongrels, grifter no, people. No, I know, but but I mean that's the thing is they don't they I don't think they're engaged in that in that world. They don't think oh I could get those people, and like the, the well a 
Disney's Disney's gonna baby step it until they have they decide they want to do it and they're trying to baby step it to that. So that's probably why it, you know they might they might not have been allowed to to do that. But the the Tim and Bix love scene sex scene is sort of a plot element. You know, it's it's part of you know, and two characters just having a regular relationship, them having sex might not have you know the 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 elements of this one to the story that this does where you know it's part of you know the little arc of where he's going to turn Cassian in but you know so so that's how you would explain it but i think the real reason is disney probably does not want a to to have them you know draw up a you know they don't they don't want that they don't want the that angry gay sex scene written until they're they're like okay, this is where we do it. And isn't that going to be in the upcoming, you know, New Republic movie? Did they say that like isn't that like what people are going nuts about right now? Is a what are you talking gonna, about? Or there's gonna one of the new shows is going to have like oh the acolyte. Yeah, the acolyte. The acolyte will like could actually have gay sex in it. So maybe that's the show that Disney, you know, Disney's gonna do it there or whatever, because they're talking about that it's gonna happen there. So this is also just like a point of like media in general. Yeah. Um, because you'll have like a lot of shows and movies that you'll have the hetero couple and then you'll have the gay couple. And the hetero couple will have like making out and kissing and like sex scenes and blah blah blah. And like the queer couple will like maybe get a kiss maybe and like so if you want to like write good queer rep you have to write your queer couples equally to your hetero couples like it's just a thing that seal has been broken on certain shows and and i think they've you know basically broken that seal on the r-rated shows and I think they've oh, also. Oh, I hate that queer content is R rated. I hate it. I hate it. Well, that's it. what I'm saying. That's that's the thing about it is because then it becomes, that's then it stinks. becomes flat out sex. You know, they're like, okay, we're going to show flat out sex. And we were we were having this conversation at work, which was funny. There was another guy going like, rah, 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 and I'm, and I'm like, listen, you guys don't. They're like, they're always sneaking these scenes, and I'm like, a, they're not sneaking them in. B, you know. Some people want to see two two men have sex, and maybe it's not even just me- gay men that want to see it. It might be there's a few straight men who want to see it, and there's probably quite a few, quite a few women who want to see it. And one of the guys goes, "Well, my girlfriend is she hates it. She always like she gets really like." And then our new dishwasher, who's female, goes. I would like to see two women having sex and I'm straight. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, but yeah, but then it gets, it gets relegated into the world of graphic, you know, not graphic, like porn, pornographic sex. No, but like, that's, that's the, like, yeah, two people railing on each other and like, uh, having positions and, you know, going that far like there there's absolutely a stigma against it like it comes into well, like the last of the last of us wasn't like you know they were making out and stuff and like they were they were rubbing their hairy they were t- two very hairy guys in bed together sort of hugging each other and stuff but it wasn't like ah oh, you know pounding away but that was enough to like freak out oh 
Oh no, I'm gonna give guys. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a better one. Take something as simple as the Owl House, a cartoon on Disney Channel, which has two girls dating, and the most they've done is like have like a kiss, and people are like, this should be R-rated because it's gays, and like that's the stigma that oh, we're yeah. trying to work away from. It's that's, it's very common in animation just, where there, if there's anything gay, where it. People are like, oh, this is adult content, it's, which is why that when people like when we have stuff like Bell and Santa, like Bell and Santa at some point need a kiss to like show that they are equal to the rest. And I, that's the point I'm, I'm essentially. We have to get rid at. of our Puritan culture is what we have to do, because I mean, they're, they're, that Puritan culture, even like, you know, there's the people who are like. Uh, against gay stuff because it makes them feel funny. And then there's people who have like religious beliefs that get in the way of it. But at the same time, the thing that sort of binds all that together is they just like a so like in a Puritan culture where sex is so weird, like anything like anything that's like gay, you know, like two straight characters kissing each other isn't necessarily shouldn't mean sex or, you know, or dre- they, they they just take any kind of physical contact or um, you know emotions and it all gets thrown in with sex it's all about sex so being gay is all about gay sex and it you know and whereas they don't have any trouble differentiating that like straight people just sort of like a husband and wife being affectionate or a couple being affectionate to each other they're not just like getting horned out watching it or associating it with sex but anything that that marks that someone's gay is sexual to them you know it's 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 associated with that and that's like strongly in our puritan origins because it's just like oh you can see an ankle you know and and they and like all of a sudden it it's you know yeah and it's so that's so ingrained in like my generation back (laughs) especially Oh, yeah. My favorite argument is like when people are just like, oh, you're trying to push kids to be gay. And like people respond with like pictures from like Disney movies of like the Disney prince and the Disney princess kissing. They're like, why are you trying to radicalize people to be normal? But they are like, not but, not normal, but like a uh, hetero. <laughs> but that, but that, but that, like, yeah, but that's so, that argument works with the converted because that because they're like, yeah, we are pushing people to be normal. <laughs> we do, we do make everything that we do to to. I, I didn't mean to say no. I miss. I didn't mean to say but, normal. I meant to say hetero. Hetero. Like, yeah, but the yeah. same thing. Yeah, no, they they like they raise their kid. They do want their kids raised to be hetero, and they do want them to see just hetero stuff you know and and they they think that you know they have it backwards and they think that that's what makes their kids hetero or 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 gay but in fact it's like more of a reflection of it so like you know and all that like training your kids to be hetero all that ends up doing is making weird toxic masculine and feminine stuff and denial and and stuff like that. It does not train them to be like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So they they just don't understand. They 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 you know by them showing you know that stuff, they think they're training them into being heterosexual. So then, if you put something gay in, that's training to be homosexual because they think 
that and I think some people also are like really repressed super horn dogs. So they do get sexually like wound up over anything that's even close. They're like little like they're like 13 year old boys in puberty their whole lives, you know. So like and yeah, and like two two gay guys kissing might make make them feel horned out even though they don't really want to kiss a guy but just the act of kissing is associated with sex to them so that'll like trigger revulsion i don't know we're getting deep in, we're getting deep into it before I, we even get to that plot element i know we, we should probably element. move on because i have a shit ton of notes about linus yeah. mosque yeah, yeah. <laughs> um before i jump there my we'll have other chances to go further into this everybody who just go and shut up about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this this is a point though that is like really a sticky point to me. Um, all right, I want to talk about Linus Mosk because I really like his character, but for yeah, me too. Very different reasons. I like his character on multiple layers, and one is for the story, and the other is his place in Cyril's story. So, and I want to be clear: they are bad guys. So I'm not disregarding that at all. In this no, movie. but like I understand his character. He's he's a person I've met in, in life and under circumstances. He could be an OK guy or maybe if he had a different life, he could be. He is your he's your he he just wants he likes the order and the routine. He's not a bright guy. He likes the order that the the empire gives him and it gives him a chance to push people around because he's like mm -hmm. i was a bully in space high school you are right on my 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 note because i said he's, uh he very much is a representation of that mall cop mentality where he's a mall he, cop yes he absolutely believes and buys into the power structure and his place in it and he sees their power at risk and it he's also emboldening cyril to like, like really he loves it. it like the way he says pockets of fomenting you know, he's been thinking about that, like that, all that. And he's telling Cyril and Cyril's like, yes. And the, the two of them are, are just that they're, they're, they're me and Scott Gardner in fucking in what it had to be. It had to be like fourth or fifth grade when we met and we were like Star Wars. Oh, yes. Star Wars. And like he's holding up his action figure and I'm holding up my action figure. We're going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's go let's go play with star wars figures in the dirt that's to that th th these guys are like they're stunted you know they're emotionally stunted they're like two little they're 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 two little buddies you know <laughs> i like i wrote that um like as from a story perspective um which is my first point which is different from my second point um he, he's very, as you said, very much um, is the mentality of a bully given way too much power. He has a very specific line of the best way of keeping the blade sharp is to use it. That's a terrifying line right there out of a character like Linus because this is someone that's a probably, who... That's probably a real line out of like some philosophy of war book, you know, somewhere too. It's probably yeah. paraphrasing as something real. This is a bully who is in a position of power who's been jonesing for a fight. And I also wrote here, he's kind of like a proud boy. He's kind of like a proud boy, but the proud boys are worse. The proud boys they are, worse, are really, they're, they're really like kind of into it. This guy's, this guy's like a country boy, you know? I mean, he's, he's an awful person and you would not want to run into him 
when he's in the line of duty. But as we see coming up, he's he's not without humanity and he's not without like, you know, he could he can doubt what he's doing. But at the same time, it's there's something about the chemistry between him and Cyril that's that's comic like you could almost do a spin-off series of this. It's totally different that with just him bumbling his way through the empire and him as a sort of comic character, Linus that is. Mm-hmm. And you could actually do a, a Linus and Cyril comic show. Oh my I God, think. It's but I have a feeling Cyril might not make it out of this, this, this series. Who knows? But like, like, yeah, it's when they, when they put the two of them together, I, it's, it's, you know, it's the, this show is not, is a gray show. It's, it is going to make sure on some sort of level it humanizes everybody because everybody is human in, in this. And, you know, we're not up at the Palpatine level of where they are just like supernatural, like slime souls, like Palpatine, where they're just like, I am made of pure, pure evil, you know, or, or fallen Jedis or something. They're all just people like, you know, in, in, in the army. (laughs) Products of the system. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're products, you know, they're products of their family. We're going to see serials. We're going to see a lot of like stuff, in the future coming up that shows that goes like oh yes this explains a lot about old Cyril here and especially because like um Linus reminds me a lot of in a way Minister Tua from Rebels and we know that Tua was a propaganda child like she was raised on the propaganda so she honestly believed honestly believed yeah, what she doing, was doing, doing the because, thing she was brought up to do because she knows anything different but we yeah. we know from Rebels that when she hits that level where she starts getting into like the Tarkin level of things that's when she has that moment of like oh shit what the fuck are we doing yeah. and they yeah. kill her for it yeah. and like Linus could so easily be like that but he's he's kind of like he's kind of like I joined the cops because I get to bully people and like he has that line where he's talking and he's like, hey, and if the citizens ever give give you any trouble, just tell them they can go and make complaints. On I have state. that noted. And then they all then they all giggle because they, they know it's bullshit. It. They yeah. all giggle because it, it's their line of bullshit. But that's just cops. So that's why he joined the cops. And and like people join the cops like that, they're assholes. And like I've. Like, but there are people. But, but they I, they think that's the way it is. They think when you're a cop, hey, you you get to bust a couple head, bust some heads here and there. Doesn't mean that they have no moral limits. You know, it doesn't mean that they still don't think they're they're, they're generally doing the right thing by because, being. The, but I, I do want I do want to slide in because I I do know one of our listeners. Um, but like it's also like not all of them. Um, because there are people who do go into these positions of power because they generally do oh, want to help. I'm just saying uh, when I say when I say that's just cops in general, I say that's cops during the empire, during the you know, no matter what what system you have, you're gonna have people who are who are in the positions of power because they want that power for some reason, and they not necessarily you know for their own personal. Thing. So you end up with cops who, you know, bullies going into, into, in, into policing and stuff. What I'm saying is, there's a he's big not difference go, between he's like not going into this being like, I am going to be a perpetrator of evil, 
and all this. He's 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 a bully type of guy who goes in to do it, but he still thinks he's doing. You know, he really yeah. thinks he's doing the right thing. He gets really excited about it. You know, Nazi cops are definitely a different level from like normal cops too. Yeah, but like he's in the first years of the Nazi cops. And he's also on the lower ranks of them too. He's a corporate cop. So he's a, he's a mall cop at this point. And he's, he's not like, he's not like, you know, we, we need, Pal- we, 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 you know, we need Emperor Palpatine's, you know, great glory of dark, <laughs> what a, whatever, you know, he's just like, he wanted a job in, in some sort of enforcement. <laughs> And uh, that and 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 I'll bet you his dad is exactly like him and was probably a cop too. You know, I do want to um, say like I'm gonna, I'm about to say like a crazy point. Bear with me. There's a reason I'm saying this. Um, Linus Musk also reminds me a lot of Carson Teva from The Mandalorian. Carson Teva is the New Republic X-wing pilot played by Paul Sun Hung Lee. Um, and he's like that, like that X-Wing pilot that Mando keeps running into when he tried to re- like recruit Cara Dune, like that guy. Linus reminds me of him, but the reason here, I know it sounds great. Let me, let me explain. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for the rest of this cause I, I'm not seeing it yet, but okay. A they little rep- bit. They represent the same story beat from two different sides of the spectrum. They are these outlier people on the edge of their big government that can see the corruption and they can see the cracks of their big government. And for Carson, it's the New Republic who is saying like, hey, we're in the outer rim. We're not supported. We're seeing these imperial pockets. No one's listening to us. And for Linus, it's the empire going, I can see these bubbles of rebellion. No one's listening to us. We need to take it into our own hands. And for the empire, the empire ignores it out of hubris because they honestly don't think that anything can happen but the new republic ignores it out of much more complicated reasons of they don't want to be like the empire they're shooting themselves in the foot with demilitarization and stuff like that and the reason that these two characters remind me of each other carson shows the failures of the good guys linus is showing the failures of the bad guys but they're both playing the same narrative role and their failures are not that different you know exactly we're 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 fine like I'm getting the uh, getting the impression that the New Republic is like the dog that ended up catching the car and doesn't know what to do with it. You know, they won the they won the war, and now they're trying to like keep a keep a galaxy in order without being, you know, fascistic and finding out that's not that easy. <laughs> exactly, like a you big know, thing. That's why just... we keep having a problem with fascism. <laughs> And, uh, because like when Palpatine took over the Republic, we see this in Bad Batch. The Empire is still using the Republic shit because they're like, why? Until we get our new fancy Star yeah. Destroyers, these tanks are going to work for us yeah. <laughs> until we get our new tanks. But then like with we, we they were talking about this. I think it was this last episode of The Mandalorian with, do- with Dr. Pershing. The New Republic demilitarizes themselves 90%. They do not use the weapons of the Empire because they don't want to look like the Empire, which inherently makes them weaker. Because they have no way of protecting their people, which is why the First Order comes. So, like, and that's how, like, that's why I really like this kind of, like, 
um, Carson and 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 Linus re, like uh, represent the exact same kind of story, but one is for the good guys and one is for the bad guys. But it shows also why both fail. And they, but like, yeah, they like represent this like very same narrative story. Yeah, I t- I told you it was weird, but you had hey, yeah, with no, me. yeah, Damn. no. <laughs> well, that's what I, you know, I mean, um, um, the other character from the New Republic, he's. He's supposed to be a good guy, and he's like always letting the Mandalorian go. But there's, yeah, there's something about him that's, that's him. a little, that's him. Yeah. little bureaucratic and a little bit like, little, little bit sort of. That's Carson, yeah. Yeah, and and he he and Linus are both they're both on the lower levels, so you're you're gonna see see that stuff more. You know, they're not in the boardrooms or in the planning commission. They're out on the the fringes and a galaxy is a big thing. So you can't be, you know, it's it's the you know, they're basically the space state troopers who go, you know, way out in the hinterlands and stuff. And they see that stuff. Nobody else sees it for real. And then it becomes an abstraction when you get into a boardroom with it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then my second point of why I like Carson, uh, not Carson, now I'm on Carson Teva. The second point why I like Linus Moss actually is about his relationship with Cyril. Um, and I'll definitely get like much more into this in the back half of the season because that's when it's like super duper duper apparent. But Linus is something that Cyril doesn't really have, which is a friend. Right. And last week I was talking about how Cyril was rejecting the other, uh, Primor Corpos around him, but the other Corpos are clearly a community. Like you have the three little dust people who are looking out for each other and they're just hanging out. You have the one guy in the hallway who asks if he's okay and like checks in with Cyril and he's like, it's fine. But he pushes all of this away. And like that's what he's missing. That's why he's the opposite of Cassian. Because Cassian has- Cassian is learning how to lean on his community while Cyril is pushing away people who don't fit his idea of a community. And in walks um, Linus, who is very much like in the same mindset as him. And Linus is loyal to Cyril from the moment they walk into each other. And Cyril is still- They have a bromance. That's why he gets a lot, because all the other people he's gonna treat like shit because he's really into the hierarchy. And stuff, but this guy gets that he he sees this guy, and they're both like we get each other. But the thing is, they are they think they're the same, but like Cyril's motivations are all inward. He's just neurotic, and he's doing you know he's overcompensating, and he, it's all you know. You obviously see he had like overbearing parents. And he's try like try you know, and he's afraid of being a failure. Whereas this other guy is just a true believer who's found his niche, and that's why Cyril's speech goes doesn't work because. I am so glad you brought that up because that's the other point of this is I do feel like it's heavily one sided because Cyril never seems to fully reciprocate that friendship. Like he has, even he has even things when to they're learn from him. Judging yeah. by that speech, you know, that's the thing is he uh, that he 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 met his friend and then his friend was able to rile these guys knew what he had to do to rile them up. And he had no idea because he's riled that he doesn't know how to relate to other people that oh. the other guy, be, even though he's a big dumb bully guy, you know, mall cop. He's had buddy, you know, he knows how to be, you know, buddy around with people and 
camaraderie and stuff. Cyril doesn't understand any of that. He's just he's he's been trained all his life to stab his way to the top. One so, second. One second. I need to let Zeb out. He's banging on my door. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. I'm coming. I'm coming. Yeah. Sorry. The reason he went to the the vet today was for bladder issues, so I wanted to make sure he could get out to a litter box. <laughs> but you were saying, continue. Stacks yeah, Li- Linus just wants to do his thing, and Cyril is 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 you know he's he's he he wants to keep moving up to to make his mommy mommy happy. And that so, is like very much like a good like summary. Is that like Linus honestly sees somebody that gets him. Cyril sees somebody who gets him that he can use. And like, and it's really apparent later on when after they get fired and they're both on their own, like Linus calls him and he's just like, hey, friend, I found that Cassian guy and blah, blah, blah. And like Linus is really there for Cyril. Cyril never really reciprocates that except for in the hat scene. No, that's that's what does it. Yeah, and that's coming. That's coming later. But yeah, they, they, they like being around. They're fr- They're they're. I mean, you must. I mean, everybody's had, especially like like basically these guys are emotional like grade schoolers. But when you're in grade school, you meet when you meet your friends that end up being your grade school friends. You just get you know you meet and you're like, okay, I get along with this person. You just go with it, you know. And that—that's sort of you can tell, you know. There's there there is all that that level of it, but you can just tell through their performance that these two characters like each other. They like being around each other. They're comfortable, you know. They're comfortable with each other, and these are two people that probably aren't very comfortable with many people, you know. But I th- I think also where they end is. We were talking about, like, knowing where this goes. Like, the road of Linus and Cyril end separately. Because what happens in the final episode? They have this hat scene where it seems like they're on the same page. They're there for each other. They're buddies. But the moment Cyril sees Dedra, he leaves Linus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Linus's final scene is drinking by himself sitting in the street while Cyril leaves with Dedra. Yeah, which Linus, shows like where their true intentions was Li- that Linus, Linus tried to protect Cyril and Cyril left him. Linus Linus isn't as much of a piece of shit as Cyril. Cyril is a is a just a ball of of negative of negativeness and Linus is pretty a negative person too. But he's also he's just sort of a big dumb guy. He's got he's got his limits, and when he gets past his limits, it actually like he feels bad about it. Cyril mm-hmm. Cyril's doubling down on it, and you know he's he's just he's basically Anthony Perkins' psycho mentality. He's you know he's not working in reality. He's working in his own you know psychosphere. <laughs> Yeah, and, but but still, they 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 just they were just natural buddies. They liked being around each other, and they and they had a, a thing that they shared that nobody else got. And it it just comes through in the the performance, and it adds a level to it where you know Linus could just be a caricature of of the evil cop, but he's not. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. 
it's the good writing. Um, and the only other note I have about Linus and Cyril is actually about Cyril's failed speech. First of all, I love that he falls flat on his fucking face. It gives me such, like, joy. <laughs> I always laugh and cackle. It gives me such joy because I'm petty. But um, I do think it says a lot about his character at this point. Because, again, as we were saying, he doesn't know how to work with people. Um, he only knows how the hierarchy, as you said. And it also shows that he's hasn't really learned what to do under pressure because I don't think he's ever been under external pressure. We know he's been under internal pressure because right. we he's meet his mom. <laughs> always going to be. He's always yeah. He's always just a corked up, you but know, I don't, stew I don't, of horror. But, <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if he understands what to do under external pressure. I, I get a feeling that this might be his first field mission, especially when we get to next week oh, and yeah. he's just kind of following Linus around. <laughs> yeah, he's not an on the ground type guy. He's got soft little little soft hands. <laughs> but speaking thematically um what's interesting about cyril though in the speech is he opens it with the line there comes a time when the risk of doing nothing is the greatest risk of all which man that is very much a summary of a lot of this show because in regards to cassian learning a to give a damn because he starts this series just thinking of his own and he leaves this series being like i need to fight for a fucking rebellion and it also reminds me of Marva's final speech about how Ferrix has been sleeping. And it's just, it's very much that Cyril and Cassian are two sides of the same coin, but they're being radicalized in completely different directions. That Cyril is saying where Cassian and Marva end up, but he goes in a completely opposite direction from them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's all I have about... Uh, Cyril and um, Linus. I don't have a lot about Luthen in this episode because he doesn't really do much other than arrive and sit there. Um, but what I do love about Luthen, knowing what I've seen of the final season, knowing what happens to him, knowing what he does, how he acts and stuff like that. I know his season one story. And even as I rewatch this, I love that I still don't know what to make of him. And that is very much the point of his character because he is the ultimate Nobody spy character. Nobody knows who what to make of him. That's he's a, that's what makes great spy characters. Yeah, right. And we're you not supposed to know. You have to get into his head to know. You you're gonna get little bits because you know the actor's gonna betray, you know, little little pieces to make it interesting. But yeah, you yeah. There's no there's nobody. He's not going to have. He has confidants, but they're every every. It's spy world, so it's uh, everything is. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Compartmentalized. Everything is needed to know and compartmentalized. And he's he is the hub, the fulcrum, yeah. and so he has to. All his cards are just mashed against his chest to everybody, even his assistant and mon mothma and stuff so, they're all everybody's actually about clay. the assistant my you want to know my theory about his assistant clea um and i'll get into this later on i think it's episode seven that i started thinking this i think clea is the real leader and he's protecting her i think he's the front protecting her and she's the real leader it could be. It could so, very well be. I'm going to put that seed down. And also, there's a really cool fan theory. And I think it's 
it's one of the prison episodes when he's talking to the ISB agent who's actually a rebel. Um, that was about the time that people started going off on a theory that Luthen is actually a Jedi. Um, and there's a lot of really good information supporting this theory there, out there. there. There, there, there. Uh, it's possible if he if he is, he's really playing his cards straight because he's not taking advantage of being a Jedi at all. Right. So I will definitely come back to both of those points because I have a lot of thoughts on Clea. But I started really feeling that when she had our conversation with Vel and she, after Eldani. I, I think it's episode seven after Eldani, and she's just like, "Oh, just kill Cassian," and Vel's like, "What?" <laughs> But, like, Clea does a lot of, like, Clea actually orders um, Luthen around at times and tells him what to do. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, so I, I my my tinfoil hat theory is she's the real leader. But there is some also very strong evidence that Luthen is a Jedi in hiding, which I think is very interesting, too. So we will come back to that later. <laughs> Down the line. Because I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um... Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the flashbacks because I have a lot of thoughts about the flashbacks and I kind of want to talk about them as a whole next week. When this we get one the gave less... me a little bit of the Blue Awful episode vibe. <laughs> I have the Blue Awful. Um, but one thing I do want to note to set up talking about the flashbacks next week um, is something that Zanwin says, which was there's a lot of uh, he said, she said about Canari because in context with next week's episode, um, Zanwin reads that Canaria was destroyed by an imperial mining disaster. Marva mentions that it was the Republic. And then we also know that the flashbacks take place around or during the time of the Clone Wars when there was no Empire. And, and I- it looked like that operation had been there for a while. The machinery was yeah. old and... Even the though it was wrecked, it was like weathered and stuff, and there was a lot of shit dug out. So, yeah, it it, it reminds me of CIA shit, CIA secret stuff. Where, yeah, yeah, you know what? It might as well be imperial because whatever was happening is still continuous and was maybe behind the scenes and is secret and is sketchy. And yeah, and place it and like it's like a third world country where the whole story of what's happening over there is clouded in misinformation and, and oh, disinformation. That is, yeah. That's exactly and where you hit my point. Rumor because... and it's out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows about it. So like every story is a is a story of a story of a story of it, you know, so I like that you hit my point because that that's exactly the point I was going to make. Where when you have one person saying it was Imperial, one person saying it's Republic, and one and then we know it's around the, also the time of the Clone Wars, so it could be Separatist. Sowing inf- misinformation in a series like this is another way that the Empire holds power. Because if nobody knows the truth, then it just, bat- like, people, yeah. again, are too busy battling each other. They're not actually watching the government. And so this is a really good example of how to sow misinformation because the fans don't know the characters don't know, and the government is just like, cool, you're not looking at us because you're too busy looking at everything else. Even um, those kids on Canari probably only have a limited amount of stuff they could say about what happened there, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's all, it's it's just got a whole, it's, it all stinks of Palpatine. It all stinks of, of 
plots within plots and and stuff like that so yeah it uh yeah it's i i i I like that it's 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 got a whiff of like cia conspiracy secret mk ultra you know biological weapon stuff you know I kind of hope we never find out who was behind Canari. Yeah. I kind of yeah. like the mystery of it. No, I like how I like how Andor is just sort of cruising through this and we see the things that the characters see and the only stuff that gets explained is what ha- has to be explained. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just like if you were caught up in a war, you would see all sorts of stuff. And, and and you meet all sorts of people and then they would be gone and then you know you you might never ever know about this or that or or this or that but it's just all happening and i i like that it's it leaves more to the imagination you know mm-hmm. it let it lets us i i and i've always liked that aspect of star wars one of the things that's I don't like as much about having a lot of Star Wars as having too much everything explained, you know, everything having its back, uh, full backstory and everything I like. I like seeing characters or weird droids doing weird things and never knowing what exactly they are. They're, they're just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But that's all I have. Did you have anything else? I have nothing else. Wait, let me let me check real quick. Let me... Uh... Let me uh, whip through and make sure there isn't anything that I have to have to say about this. Uh, uh, okay, okay, I almost missed a couple things. Tiny right, little me. details. When when the guy goes to call in to turn in, drop the dime on Cassian at the payphone. I love the other guy. On that the was phone. the alien I was talking about last week. The one he's he's an extra and you can catch him often in the background and he has really interesting mannerisms. Like yeah, no, his... he's he's got a whole story in his head because he's having a conversation. As soon as he sees Cassian looking at him, he turns around and goes. Or Tim. Yeah, Tim. Or Tim. Yeah, Tim. He he turns around and starts mumbling into the phone. It's like, oh, yeah, he's up to something sketchy. Just lovely. I don't even think he's sketchy. I take him as like he's just talking to his family because he has like this little mannerism he did in last week's episode where. Um, he is just walking around and he holds his hand like a bunny, like a bunny hop. And like, he'll come to the curve, he'll look both ways and he'll hop off the curve and then like continue to go on his way. And it's just like that, that was the guy I was talking about. Like, he's such a cool little extra in a background yeah, no. character. And we know nothing. We don't even know his name, but he's such a cool background. No, character. he knows his name though. He knows all, he knows everything he's doing. He's thought him giving himself a whole little world to live in. And you can tell, yeah. um, the other the other thing that I just wanted to mention that I thought was um really cool. Where is it? Where is it? I had I was just looking at it. Oh, oh yes. When Cassian goes back to pick up his piece of a, a equipment in his ship, he's 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 holding a little LED lamp. I have that exact same lamp. It's like a <laughs> it's like a off the shelf of you know the like far the uh like um you know where you go to the um oh what is it like coals or what what are they that like um the word is escaping me not farming garden places but you know where where you go to buy all your 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 home home improvement equipment and stuff it's just an off the off the shelf little 
LED that you pull apart and it lights up and it has like the the same and and what's funny about it is I have one of them in my room like beside my bed to like if I need light at at night and I always think this uh, this would be a great this is would be perfectly in place in a science fiction movie it's it has no marks on it and it's just like looks like it looks like a thing that you open up and light just comes out of it it looks kind of space age and they were probably just like, I oh, need to. Oh, these things are sci-fi looking enough, <laughs> which I thought wasn't very Star Wars at first. And then I'm like, no, that's actually very Star Wars because they've done lots of stuff like that. Uh, over, could I say ice cream, ice cream maker? Ice cream maker exactly. is now a thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the ice. Well, we don't know that it wasn't an, wasn't being. Well, we do know now that it's. We know like, now, uh, but originally it sort was of just a carrying, an ice cream maker. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it is. It's just just throw the ice cream maker in there and have it. So. Yeah, so yeah. I, I I like that, but when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what he has there. <laughs> Anything else? Nope. Oh, I'm looking uh, down. I have it right at my feet. Listen, you can hear it open. Ah. Yeah. And well, it has two little metal things that bend up, and I was like, I got to. Does it have the metal things? I'm like, yep, yes, I've got. <laughs> That's all, right, all I got. Then score it up for me. I gave it an 8.5. I didn't quite like it as much as the last one, which I gave a nine, but I like it a lot. And uh, I have a feeling we got another another nine coming up here with episode three. I know. I, I kind of went on the lower end just because in no way is this a bad episode. This is an excellent episode. We wouldn't be talking for like two and a half hours if it wasn't good. <laughs> well, you know, we're at the beginning too. And I think like next episode, I think these like end of end of uh arc episodes will be a little shorter because it's 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 all the build-up is all the really interesting stuff to talk about and then it's all going to come to a head and it's an action scene you know yeah but i think for me like knowing the season as a whole um this is probably my least favorite favorite episode which is in no way saying it's bad it's just i like all the episodes other episodes way more well we'll find we'll find out by the end of it when we so uh, yeah i gave it 8.25 out of 10 okay so so just close behind close yeah and that's me also giving myself some wiggle room so i just don't have a shit ton of nines exactly exactly (laughs) because i'm just gonna have a shit ton of nines um and like a couple nine points. By the end, so. I'm going to be doing like eight point nine nine and stuff, so I can <laughs> like do my my scoring list at the end of the season. Oh, this is going to be fun too because we have enough episodes where we can actually actually pick a top five, unlike Kenobi, where it's like rank six episodes because yeah. there's only six. <laughs> yeah, we'll actually get to choose a top five. So. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, the Two True Freaks Facebook page, and now the Two True Freaks Discord, where you can leave us feedback. This week, our feedback comes from Twitter and Facebook for our two Tales of the Jedi episodes, which feels like it was forever ago. Uh, Like 18 years ago. Okay, the first one comes from Bucho. Part of it is I think I accidentally skipped the Tales of the Jedi by accident, and I was just like, oh, fuck, I need to go back. (laughs) I I accidentally skipped my thing. So, our good buddy Bucho. Bucho says, all of a sudden it makes sense why Yaddle hasn't been cast in anything since filming the Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Hope says, mm-hmm. we should have known the entire time. We should have known the entire mm. time. I think I think deep down we, we did. All right. And, and then Gene Hendricks pipes in and he goes, you know, 
The feeling you have about Dave Filoni rolling over other people's work, Hope, was how I felt when Lucas did the same to the expanded universe with the prequels, like Chris said. The major factor was how involved Lucasfilm was in the novels and comics, starting in the late 80s, making sure things lined up and did not contradict. Then here comes George, who has every right to do what he wants, passive-aggressive, and throws away all, throws all of that away, even the stuff he put in there. Like how Obi-Wan and Owen were brothers. I forgot that Obi-Wan and Owen were originally brothers. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're you're not wrong, Gene. And I I totally acknowledge that because it is a feeling that a lot of extended universe people have. Um and so I, I do I do get it. Um, you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet, that's what I say. Yeah, but I, I do I do feel like my my sticking point comes from Lucasfilm, to me, in my opinion, tripping out of the gate with the buying of Disney. And they said that all canon matters equally. The books and the comics are equal to the movies and the TV shows. And then they go back on it. That That's was very dumb point. of them to say. That was super dumb of them to say. I gotta because... say, though, I, I gotta say it's a little dumb of us to believe that, too, because you just can't. You can't. It, it, it's so big you reach a point to where you're going to start stepping on each other's toes but it. and, and it's also my feeling of when you have the the unfairness of the books and the comics have to go through the story group to make sure they're not stepping on the tv shows but the tv shows don't have that don't have to do that and i do feel like that's an imbalance as well that is well that imbalance is there because of how much money the tv shows cost and make yeah. As compared to how much money the books make. So yeah. the books that whoever if the books all of a sudden started like outgrossing the movies, then all of a sudden you would start having movies that closely follow the books. <laughs> but we're that's also gonna get to a point the way it works here in America. We're also gonna get to a point where will we ever have a movie? <laughs> I honestly I'm sure the I'm sure the Harry Potter movies made yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't I care. Let let five years go by before we have a Star Wars movie and make people the really want the it. The thing about Harry Potter movies is was the understanding that it was always an adaptation. The well, movies I'm, I'm are saying, an adaptation. I'm just versus... saying, there's there's so many more people have seen the Harry Potter. It's just the the way we consume media in this in our in in culture around the world. Is people are gonna more people have seen the you know there's a lot of Harry Potter fans. They've all seen the movies. They're dwarfed by the numbers of people who've never, or Harry Potter fans who've read the books, I should say. They're dwarfed by the numbers of people who've gone to see the movies without reading the books, you know? And so yeah. that, that, that's how it works in capitalist art. But I do like, um, to me, there's a difference with the Harry Potter books and movies where the movies were always adaptations versus. Star Wars, where it's like the books and the TV shows and movies exist in the same canon. And and they're in the same story, overall story, which which is very much a difference when that's a, something that's supposed to be playing in the same universe versus an adaptation. Because then the, the movies are, always have the luxury of they don't have to do everything and they can change stuff. Because it's an adaptation versus, you know, 
Kanan, yeah. the Kanan Comets is supposed to be happening at the same time as the Bad Batch. Those are two very different scenarios. So, but yeah, you're not wrong, Gene. <laughs> you're not wrong. So, all right. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you? Oh, I need to look at next week's episode. Um, uh, be me. Um, so, Chris, uh, where can people find you? You can find me at tutufreaks.com. That is our website where we have all our shows, including Jay Guys and Jedi, which you're listening to now. Uh, we are also on social media. We're, we got the Two True Freaks Facebook page, uh, Two True Freaks Podcast Facebook page, and the Two True Freaks Cantina on face, Facebook, which is where we put up our episodes and where we hang out, respectively. And we also have where you just heard his, my version of Gene's bellowing voice uh, who runs our Twitter page, which is Two True Freaks at Twitter, and that's Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. I'm muddling up my... Uh, my oh, uh, damn it, I was muted, so you didn't hear that. <laughs> Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. You didn't hear it. I went, Gene Gene, the podcast machine. <laughs> but oh, I was now muted, we heard so. it. Now we now, heard it. Now you got it, but it took me a second. <laughs> <laughs> and we also we are also on Discord, and uh, if you go to the Two True Freaks page on our podcast, or you go to the J Guys and Jedi episodes, at the end of every one of our episodes from now on, we have a little invite to the Discord page, mm-hmm. so you can just hit that link and join our Discord page, and we've got a whole section for J Guys and Jedi. Every every show on Two True Freaks has their own section, and we have you know some places to generally discuss books and movies and yeah. all that stuff or if you want to talk about jay guys like uh that's how we've gotten some of uh, our good yeah. buddy bucho has like yeah. left us some comments there too people, and like so is gene and people seem to be start being are, are starting to be more comfortable with discord than uh, other places to go to communicate so we are there now so if you if you like discord we got a discord yeah, you can find that either on the episode page on the Two True Freaks website, or just ask me or Chris. Like, so send us a message, and we'll give you a link. That's how we got Charles. 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 Yes. So, Charles, come to the Discord and tell us all about your love of flamethrowers. Oh. oh. I can hear him screaming now, <laughs> all the way in California. <laughs> I just heard a. <laughs> Charles, you better believe that when we get to Bad Badge, that episode with the flamethrower i am inviting you just just letting you know now prepare (laughs) (laughs) prepare charles it's coming your invite will come um yeah anyway where can they find you hope um as long as it hasn't broken yet uh at jake guys and jedi on twitter you can also find me at hope molinax on twitter um i'm also a contributor for dork side of the force i am a freelance writer for wealth of geeks um, which is my job. I have a job. Oh my god. Um, and I also am on a podcast with the aforementioned Charles um, called For Light and Dice. Oh, Chris, I have such a cool story I need to tell you. Um, sorry. Actually, I'll just tell everybody now. So over at For Light and Dice, we are a real play tabletop podcast set in the High Republic. You don't have to know anything about the High Republic to listen because one of our players, Colton, they have never read the High Republic books. So they're just along for the ride learning as we go. Um, and 
So uh, we are, and, and we put out an episode every week. Um, and so we are very well aware, like we, we in, our, in our little group Discord, we all are just like, wouldn't it be cool if like, you know, we saw our characters like in a High Republic comic or something, like wouldn't that be cool? And we are slightly aware that Daniel Jose Older, who's one of the High Republic writers, is at least aware of our podcast. And then last night, uh, we have some awesome listeners over there because suddenly we all started getting notifications of people like tagging us and we had none of us knew why so i got on twitter and kelly knox who is a writer for star wars like she has written some of like the books like the side books like the obi-wan self-help book and does a lot of the ancillary materials and she writes for starwars.com she had posted something along the lines of like man i would love to listen to a ttrpg it's set in the high republic and our wonderful listeners were like have you heard of For Light and Dice? Have you heard of them? Go listen to For Light and Dice. And we're all just like, oh my god, someone who actually works at Star Wars is now aware of us. Holy fuck! <laughs> so Join the all, club. We you are join all, the club. Yeah, so we are all very smitten. We have some great listeners. So you should also go check out For Light and Dice and tell your friends if you listen to it. Like, you know, tell your friends. We're having a fun time. I, I know I've already converted uh, Gene and Aaron Henley because they both now comment and leave us messages. So thank you, Jane, and thank you, Aaron Henley. Um, also tell your friends and go check out For Lion Dice, because we're having a really good time over there. So, All right, come back for the shitty shit, shit, shit next week episode. Where the we, shitty fan. The, yep. shit, the shit episode um, where they say shit for the first time ever in a Star Wars. Um, and come back next week where we'll be talking about episode three of Andor, Reckoning. Bye, everybody. Bye. Uh, reckoning, and it's not even going to have Wrecker in it. Shit. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Where have you been, Lord, friend of my son?
Oh, make my bed soon, for I'm weary from hunting. Hey!